Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome once again to Cult Following, that long-lost podcast you love to listen to about movies and movie culture here on Phoenix, Arizona area. We are explorers in the deepest reaches of celluloid, angels to some, demons to others. Join us here at least once a month as we talk about our favorites in film, TV, pop culture, and collectible criticism. I'm one of your five, five, five what? hosts for this edition, Victor Moreno, along with Joshua T. Ruth. From antiquity, I come back to smite thee. Ha <laughs> ha, Kirby Nelson. <laughs> Jasperino. Yeah, I'm in the Arctic. And coming back from a year-long sabbatical, we've got the main man, Adam Rutkowski. Yeah, there he is. There Super he is. producer. Feel that golf <laughs> The rumors are true. Yes, Adam is back, Meow. In this edition of Cult Following, we're going to talk about the best of 2017, the year of our Lord, in film. That's right, guys. We're going to talk about our top five picks and narrow it down to five. Five. Since we have five hosts. See? It's all, it's all happening, folks. There's a vision in place. Top five from our top five, and we're just gonna get this kind of this party kind of started, right? I like to picture that Adam has been um, frozen in like a hockey puck of ice for the last year, and now you're gonna come out, and um, I will not tell you how the seashells work. No, I was gonna tell the story about how he was frozen in carbonite, and we all had to go rescue him from Java. Uh, that's a good one too. Yeah. I like how you guys jump from Demolition Man to Empire. Yeah. Right? We should do like a list of like movies where the protagonist is frozen (laughs) in some kind of substance. Yes, exactly. Adam (laughs) Sino (laughs) Man. That's three now. Yes. What about about Iceman from the 80s? When I went to it, it was about a caveman. That's in Sino Man. No, it's a different one. That's 90s. Oh. Uh, but, but, uh. Yeah, no. there was an 80s. Yeah. Wow. It's yeah. called Iceman. And then as a kid, I went to go see it and I thought it was actually about, like, the X Men. And I was very good. Oh. Boo. Well, I guess. If so. Adam comes out and starts saying, Wheeze the Juice, we'll know where he, he left <laughs> off. Wheeze the Juice. That was a bit. That's right. That would be the only Polly uh, Shore references uh, right. here. I was just going to say, Or we is were... Polly Shore a new Valerian? Wow. Hey, I didn't do it. We're not even five minutes in yet. Way to spoil my number one, dude. Right. I saw or uh, listened to his one on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he goes on for about like 15, 20 minutes, and he's like, the the pros and cons of doing Biodome. And I'm like, dude, like, oh no, it really uh-huh. descends into when he starts talking about jury, dude. And he's like, well, that was my, my first mistake. Yeah. And yeah, I'm like, exactly. yeah, yeah, it was. was not a mistake. I yeah. will Let's say, when clear. I was in grade school and I lived in California, I always wanted to go visit Biosphere. And now I've lived here in Arizona for like... Biosphere 2. Yeah, Biosphere, Biosphere right. 2. Uh, I still have not gone there to Biosphere 2. <laughs> but I was all about it, reading about it in the right. weekly reader. I don't want to go there because I'd want to like live there. You know, I'd want to stow away, and I'd be like, why am I living at dumb home right now? See, and Adam just gets props. He, like, made his return possible because they never would have caught the biosphere thing. They would have gone, yeah, I'd love to live on the biosphere. Right. Biosphere, yeah, biosphere, biosphere two. 2. Thank you very much. Yes. Well, they had that, because I did the tour. I, I love the tour. It was pretty cool. But that's what they were saying. It was like, why is it called? Does anybody know why it's called the Biosphere 2? 
because you live on Biosphere 1. Right, yes. <laughs> that literally would have blown my mind. Right. <laughs> I just want to know what other Baldwins are hiding in there. That's it. <laughs> I want to know how many Baldwins there are, period. We should, if we need a call-in segment, like, whoever names, like, the most Baldwins wins, like, a cult classics art printer teacher. <laughs> <laughs> there is no Baldwin but Billy. <laughs> <laughs> So, since we 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 you know we've been trying to get the podcast back on track, I think we've got the right minds to make it happen. So we're just gonna jump right into our top five. So, Jasper, what was your number? You would start with me. Okay, so as you all know, I pride myself on being the regular guy among the uh, cinephiles in this group. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) you're the most regular guy, right? Right? And uh, furious eight. Well, it's funny because uh, are you the Paul Walker, Marvin right. Diesel? Right, <laughs> right. Can I be ludicrous? Nice. See that that works because that's the last one I watched was Tokyo Drift. Right. So, oh, but when we were getting ready to do this and we were talking about how many we were going to do, Adam piped up with, "Well, I've seen sixty movies this year," and I'm sitting here thinking, top ten list. I don't think I saw 10 movies last year, so yeah. I'm good on a short list, um, good, good. so I will start from five all the way to number one. Yeah, just do your number yeah, five. And I go, five. and I, I'm really going by what I've done lately, because I don't watch that many movies. I'm really going by how many times do I want to see this movie, mm-hmm. the enjoyability of it. I, I'm kind of yeah. giving up on the score and cinematography and direction and all that other crap, and I'm just going with, how many times can I watch this and still be entertained by it? So my number five is Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Nice. Because nice. I love that movie. I've watched... It's probably the one I've watched the most this year. I think I've seen it four times. Yeah. Because um, it's rewatchable that much. And it's a good kids movie, kind of. Uh, it's one you can safely watch with your kids for the most part. And they can learn the word penis. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I. You know, I, I like Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Um, I, I, I still think part one is way, way Oh, absolutely. Better. But Kurt Russell... Solid pick, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, no, I Guardians two. I've actually rewatched that. I think I've watched it as many times just since getting it on four K as you probably watched it all. Uh, <laughs> Josh has a four K TV, folks. In case you yes, know he was in case you didn't hear, that's one of the things that changed uh, we, the the ice times. We remade that joke. How do you know if Josh has a 4K TV? He'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I'm just I'm kidding. Uh, it's actually oh, amazing. Yeah. I've seen it in person. It's yeah. Pacific so, Rim has never looked better. Seriously. Um, Adam's favorite movie. Right. Uh, At no, some but, point, uh, we're going to have to talk about that Pacific Rim Uprising trailer <laughs> and how much I hate it. Yes. Oh, we'll was, continue. I, I think that movie's going to be Good crazy. call on that, by the way. You called every single thing you said about that movie is in that trailer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, no, it's, it's, uh, it's a really gorgeous-looking movie. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and uh, I, I really, I think that visually, it, it is largely an improvement. Over oh, yeah, the first two one. two great shots in that movie. The first one, my my first favorite, is when they first get to Ego, uh-huh. and they're flying in. They're playing George Harrison, yeah. and they've got it was just amazing to see. Absolutely. The other one was when uh, they were, um, they were being accosted at the end by the, uh, one of the yellow people. The, uh, the uh, I don't remember you know, the, the golden hoity-toity. The Valerians. No. no, well, when they were playing the We Got the Wham, Bam, Shang, and, yeah, and yeah, all yeah. the ships were popping, and that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. I like that whole video game thing, how 
right? Pilots. And everybody was rage quitting. It was well, video was game like, drowned. Sorry, I drifted away from the mic. There so. was the uh, there was also like the forest sequence when it's like you know you have all the guys they're like you know going over the trees or like probably my favorite visual sequence is um, the whole part with just the arrow. That's kind of going. Oh yeah, like, Yondu. Oh yeah, yeah, that's probably yeah. the best set. Well, I love yeah. the. Well, I love the fact that it opened with the conversation that we had on this podcast that it was a Disney movie, and you didn't realize in that forest scene, dozens of people are, are just oh, dying yeah. horribly. Yeah, yeah. And oh made yeah, it funny. it's the biggest body count of any Marvel yeah. universe. I think it's awesome. got to be the biggest body count. Also, the most times penis has said exactly. You know, so yeah. in a Disney movie. You know. What uh, did you think of Guardians 2, Adam? Because I know Guardians 1 is like one of your favorite movies. Oh, I, I loved it, but I, it's not as good as the first one. I mean, anything. I think I did write a review for Pulp Followers and was just douching all over it. That's called following.co. On your interwebs. But I don't think I, I, I watched Volume 2 as much as I, I still watch Volume 1. I think Volume 1 is still my favorite. I a movie in quite a long time, and especially with Marvel, it's still my number one. Nice. I really think that Nicole Pullman is what I'm missing from part two. Yeah. Um, you know, it, because you had that 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 team of Nicole Pullman and James Gunn writing part one, and part two is just James Gunn. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that maybe he needs a collaborator, um, at least when it comes to something like that. James Gunn has a very uh, you know sardonic uh, sense of humor, and I think it's it's great. But I think he does need that little bit to kind of rein him back. Um, and that, that all in all but the best films, it seems like that kind of collaboration is always a good thing. Um, so I do miss that. Um, I just but, didn't think it flowed as well. There was a yeah. lot going on, and I thought it was treated the way that it, the best it could. Right. But it just felt kind of jarring at times when he'd be like focusing on one thing, yeah. going to a big switch in tone and another thing. And then being reminded of something else. It's almost kind of like the Last Jedi thing. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about that later yeah, yeah. too. But there's so much and there's so much jumping around. I think a lot of modern films, but especially Marvel, <clears throat> really the issue now in the MCU and a lot of, and I think this is completely embodied in Ragnarok, is trying to decide the uh, the ratio between humor yeah. and like the classic action, like what you expect from a Marvel film. But then you also want to have, or any comic book feature, the same thing in the DCU as well. But my my view is is that um, you know something like Guardians, which was always funny to begin with, versus something like Thor, which had a couple comic moments. I mean, they grew, but like the Dark World was a little bit heavier than the original Thor was. Um, yeah. Strangely, since Kenneth Broad did the first one. Yeah. Um, but you have like with Ragnarok, it got more like humorous, and I feel like that. Uh, same thing with obviously like Deadpool kind of changing the rules. Like I feel like that that's where all those filmmakers are like um, having to make a decision. Like how much am I going to put in this? They're all, in my opinion, going a little too hard into it. And I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any one offender. I mean, you can maybe look at the success of the first Guardians of the Galaxy maybe as well and say, I mean, maybe that's even what paved the route the, the road for Deadpool to even happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like I just wish that they would dial back that comedy just a little bit. Um, well, that's why. That's well, what I'm yeah, that was yeah. my big thing with Guardian. I, I think they made Batista way too, or sorry, Drax, yeah, way yeah. too much of a buffoon in this. He got a little overbearing over with a joke top. about you're so ugly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think we may have talked about it when we originally just 
discussed it on the show, but um, to me, it's it's all kind of very emblematic of the the, the scene where you have uh, Baby Groot and he's like bringing the stuff back to them. It's like hey, you know, <laughs> we 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 need you know this thing or whatever, like the prototype you know yeah. Mohawk thing. Yeah. Right? You know, and he keeps bringing him things that are not it, and it's like okay, the first three times was like, it's actually pretty funny. Then it like it's like seven. Towards the end, all, all it was missing yeah. was the wah, wah, yeah, exactly. Wah. You know, it's just like the joke was good. You overdid it a little bit, and I think that is kind of emblematic of a lot of my issues with the film. I will say, I really think the end of the film is awesome. I love the whole action sequence and all of the, uh, you know, this stuff like inside of the Ego's planet and all that. Well, stuff. and then it goes from comedic all the way, almost all the way through the tear drinking. Yeah, at the end, and and, I, and that was very. Moving. It had a very Star Trek two ish yeah. feel to, or, you know, Wrath of Khan feel to it at the end. Yeah, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I, mean, I was genuinely space. touched the first time I saw that film, and I found that it, it like it, it still maintains. Oh yeah, and that part, the sentiment doesn't go too far in that direction, so that you know it's like you're like, oh god, come on, this is too saccharine. I thought that the uh, I'm Mary Poppins doll was more emotional than anything else. That yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was Other probably than the, the thing, best like, scene. You know, there. you know, he, he may be your father, but he's not your daddy. Yeah, right. I mean that was that yeah. was nice too. But the Mary Poppins thing, where you're just like, yeah, you know, it's like proud dad. Yeah, yeah. is yeah. it cool? Well, it's also yeah. like a it's, it's cool. also son. and naivety. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. also yeah. like yeah. the cool dad or the guy, dad who's kind of out of touch. Right. Like, yeah, I want to be in on this joke yeah. kind of thing, like a dad. Well, it's kind of interesting you brought up the, the um, Groot retrieving stuff. Is, is that That's the way I felt about the taser face joke. Oh, I was man. like, this isn't that funny. <laughs> that was but, funny. But, but no, it wasn't no, it was funny. funny. But it goes, but it starts, the more he says it, the funnier it gets. Like, right. that's actually, to me, one of the funnier ones as it goes on. The way they hammer it normally, it's a delicate one to do. I just, I still feel the same way. I don't think it's a, it was not one of my favorites. I didn't, I mean, especially, I'm just looking at like, comic book properties or MCU properties. But rewatching again, I still think it's an enjoyable film. I and that's the difference is, is like I wouldn't mind watching this. It's just that I'm not it's definitely I think the issue that is with all sequels in the end is is that how does it compare to the first one? And I mean Guardians is a flawless movie yeah. to yeah. me. Yeah. So it's just it's and really I do, hard. I do think that James Gunn is very into the whole uh, of world building, and mm-hmm. I do think like Guardians of the Galaxy two like literally does open that world up for more, so much more interesting stuff. They want to keep going in that direction, and I really hope that in Avengers four, when they end up meeting up with uh, you know with Thor crew, that'll be so, somewhat interesting. Yeah. Play with some of that continuity, and also we'll have some different writers doing that. Yeah, too, and I think that's good. Um, you know, kind of give you a little bit of a breath of fresh air. When it comes to those characters, for sure. Yeah. Wow, we talked a lot about. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to my number. Four. Most importantly <laughs> is when we can get when we get around to Avengers four and eight K. That's what's really oh going to change right? the game. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to go around the table and do everybody yeah, yeah. number five. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's yeah. pretty. Oh no, no, you, well, one of you guys goes. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 what's your number five? I have. I still have to keep looking, man. I I have to re kind of draft everything. All right. we'll just skip to. Let's get to Josh. Yeah. So speaking of redrafting, yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I'd actually made my whole top 10 and posted it to Facebook and, you know, kind of wrote a lot. But then that was right after the first of the year. I think with these kind of lists, they're always snapshots. 
Um, yeah. You know, like they just have to be because you're going to change and you always have to wrestle with things like recency bias and um, all of that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I did, I will say that the top five part, I did a lot of moving of like my, my six through 10, but of my top five, there's only a couple very small changes that happen. But my number five um, is the bad batch. Um, honorably, oh, Amir nice. Kors, uh film, the bad batch. Um, so I, uh, I, I, I Really, really love this movie. Um, I, uh, I will say that I kind of started off with it, saying I don't think I'm gonna like this. This, this film is like, you know, about like these cannibalistic bodybuilders and this like, you know, dystopian future and all that stuff. But um, I think that that film kind of by the end of it, it goes to some really poignant places. Um, I also think it's, you know, it's just shot gorgeously. It's got an incredible soundtrack, which, you know, Honolulu Amir Porter, who also did A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, has got a, a, a really great, um, you know, sense of just music. She's, she has very good taste in music. Um, and uh, I just I think it's beautiful. Just the whole acid trip sequence in the desert with oh, yeah, that's stars really good scene. swirling around and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I really... This is an interesting thing. So um, there is a cameo in that film, which I mean, I, I don't think I have to be cagey about it at this point. The movie's been out for long enough, um, you know. But um, Jim Carrey is in this film. Oh, I'd say he's more like a supporting character. Yeah, he really is, kind of. Yeah, you're right. Um, but I actually found... he's not wearing a mask or makeup. Right? He has a yeah. beard, and I did not know it was Jim Carrey yeah. until the end of the uh, movie. Same, same. Yeah. I don't know. So. Um, you know, other people, so I, I, I know, Adam, you've seen the film. Did you know that Jim Carrey was in it? Did you recognize him at all? I recognized him within probably the third or fourth time he watched it. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, cause so, so and, and some people did too. I mean, I saw it with some friends and they were like, oh my gosh, this, that's Jim Carrey. You know who I thought it was? Huh. I thought it was, um, it's his character actor. He's on Sons of Anarchy. Billy was, Baldwin? No, he's the oh. crooked cop in <laughs> Batman Begins who eats falafels. Oh, sure, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I can't I know, remember, I know, I know but he's, who that guy is. he's like yeah. the treasurer of yeah, the yeah. Sons of Anarchy, but he's, yeah, yeah. he always looks He's the guy he's... that works at the hotel in Memento. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he tries to kind of steal money from him. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but so I actually found this like was a really interesting thing because uh, I, you know, as we all know, as like if you've been paying attention, you've seen Jim Carrey's kind of a little bit gone off the deep end, like in real life. Like um, he's definitely on his own little journey currently. And this is, of course, you know, he's doing his art thing, and they've got that documentary about that, and then there's that whole documentary about the, uh, you know, Andy Kaufman, Man in the Moon uh, role that he did. Uh, but I just recently watched his episode of Comedians in Cars with Coffee, or Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, you know, the, the Jerry Seinfeld thing, with Jim Carrey. And um, he's, like, really like that right now. Like, he, <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, he's seriously, like, you're seeing him with Jerry Seinfeld, and he's just, like, manic. Wide-eyed, high-strung. Oh yeah, he's very he's bipolar. Yeah, and he's yeah. on a real, real manic kick right now. Well, with yeah, everything he's doing. Yeah, and there's the whole thing going on where, like, I guess he's on trial for wrongful death because his girlfriend oh, yeah. committed suicide. Yeah. yeah. So to be honest with you, looking at it, it looks like he's like you know kind of almost like on the verge of a psychotic break, um, just in the multiple things of seeing. Let him. me ask you this though, because this has crossed my mind a yeah. couple times. Do you think it's real, or is he pulling like a Joaquin Phoenix where no, he's just doing a work? No, that's how he is. I've seen really? him do other... Yeah. I well, think, 
yeah, I think with that whole uh, that new documentary too, where he did the Andy Kaufman. I love thing, that documentary. Where he, um, I've watched it like six really times. Wow. But yeah, he, I think he really, um, you know, I think he's just, he, you know, he's very serious about his acting and obviously his life. But he's a guy too who's been so many characters. Yeah. And so many different kinds. I mean, even as I, I mean, one of the funniest things that Jim Carrey ever did, uh, I think it was mid nineties. He did one of the MTV Movie Awards where he dressed up as like a like a, a biker, like a hippie biker, and accepted the award for. You can Google it's on YouTube. I vaguely remember. But he like this. gets up and stuff and starts talking about how much he like wishes they would play more Fog Hat and all this I shit. I do remember. And that. talks about all the good looking <laughs> pussy they, in the audience. They kind of talk about this. It was like around but, the period he was yeah. filming this movie, and he had also done like an episode of the Arsenio Hall show right. where he came out on stage and pretended to. Wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've yeah. never seen that. So my point. Oh, and that, Mark Boone Jr. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I was yeah, gonna say Bobby gotcha. Elvis. Right, right, yeah. right. So um, my point in that though, is, so it's funny because I was watching this uh, Jerry Seinfeld movie from President Coffee, and he was talking about filming his role in the Bad Batch. Mm-hmm. So that must have been lining up, and he was talking about how he was like, you know, went out to this monastery for a month to prepare for his role, and like how it's a completely silent role and everything. And I, you know, upon rewatching that film, I think Jim Carrey's like really terrific in this film. And I think it's it's in a way that he's drawing upon whatever journey he's on right now um, in this really interesting way. So I, I love him, and he's part of the reason I believe that film gets so poignant. Um, and I I really like the the way that uh, that Keanu Reeves is is like an interesting play on his character. I mean, he's doing this kind of Jonestown, you know, kind of sex culty kind of a yeah. thing. But I think it also plays on his own particular brand of, you know, celebrity. But you're also kind of making fun of him in this mm-hmm. interesting way. So I think it's. Nice. I think I think Keanu Reeves and Nicolas Cage are both very much in tune with like how their public perception yeah. affects consumption of their work. Right. And I think uh, this this is Keanu Reeves's like Nicolas Cage moment. Nicolas Cage's like mom and dad is sort of right. his we're like I'm I know what people think of me so I'm just gonna totally like sure. this is I'm the Tommy Weezo of this movie. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um so I mean again I just uh I it cannot be understated. The things that this movie beat out on my list are like the new Star Wars. I mean it beat out Last wow, Jedi. Je- Last Jedi like, didn't make I mean, it in your spoilers, top five. but you know Shocking. Baby Driver yeah. Like, I mean, it's like, I really, really love The Bad Batch, and I've watched it multiple times, and I consistently love that film. I vehemently hate that movie. It vehemently hates it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Adam did do a review on Cult Falling where he expresses how much he hates it. An evisceration, <laughs> I think, is the technical term. But, you know, each their own. Yeah, I, I can yeah. see the. I can We're see allowed to have different opinions. No, yeah, no, no, of no, course. It's all just, as, no. as I learned today, I, you know, you know how everyone loves Lady Bird, and I've really hate it so right, much. Right, right. <laughs> Is it bad that I popped popcorn when I saw that and just waited for the comments to crossfire. start... Crossfire. <laughs> to start streaming in? Your comment on Lady Bird? Yeah, uh, well, Facebook, I didn't I see like, it. Oh, this is... oh. Victor's like, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I don't think Lady Bird was that great. It was kind of 2017. <laughs> it's uh, Ghost World. Ghost World, yeah. Ah, it's good. I, I think that's... A, that's For some reason, I connected with it more than I connected with Ghost World. But I think Ghost World is still a very good film. So I don't know if that's necessarily even an insult. No, it's not really. It's just. No, I love uh, Ghost World. It's one of those things, like, I mean, it's weird we were talking about Bad Batch and kind of, like, segued into, like, 
another female director, Greta Gerwig. It's right. Like, it, it's just like with Lady Bird, at least it kind of feels like it's a mishmash of so many other movies like this I've seen that yeah. I kind of, well, maybe if you didn't see Tiny Furniture sure, or Ghost sure, World, sure. you'd think this was really... Victor of, and I were both hit at the same time that this is really like the movie Saved. Um, yeah, Lady yeah. Bird it's has like, a yeah, huge... Literally, Lady Bird is one part Saved, two parts Ghost World, one part Tiny Furniture, Spirit Mix. <laughs> and and I mean, but but I think that's what's funny is that a lot of people be like, "Fuck yeah, I'm on board with that." Yeah. You know, it's like I think you've also but, named films that aren't necessarily your jam, yeah. and almost are using those as a pejorative. No, for no, some no. People. I love Ghost World. No, I really so like Tiny Furniture until I started to really not like Lena Dunham. Right. And I love Safe, but my whole thing is like I wanted something more from this, and it's like I mean, you might not get this if you haven't seen the movie, but like. The way this movie starts, it starts with, like, with off with a really extreme scene, and then it just kind of like turns into an episode of Roseanne almost. Right, right. I and, gotcha. Yeah, and like but, I'm not but, saying but it not in, just because of Laurie. Yeah, not just because. Right. It's just kind of like, I mean, it's like it's like a slice of life verite movie, and like I think part of it was it was probably hyped up too much. But yeah. by the time I got to it, True. I'm like, I well remember what I said la- last week at the house uh-huh. is that it, you know it's that mother daughter yeah story. yeah and that's what i couldn't relate to you yeah, know it feels yeah. like a father son you know maybe i'd relate to it more yeah it's a competent movie mm-hmm. and it's there it just wasn't i i like lo- elevated yeah, I, that yeah. well level, that you know? this is what i'm saying like if you've seen tiny furniture which if you haven't seen selena dumb's first movie it's in the criterion collection it's like it's a very very good film yeah too. yeah and I mean, it's like a mother daughter story yeah you know and like there's a cynical part of me that's like I know that Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, they're like, that's their jam, these movies they're sure. referencing. You know, and it's got, like, kind of a John Hughes vibe. So, in a way, it's, like, this really massive pastiche. And, like, you know, I like the performances. In a way, like, I, I was thinking, it's like, you know, you could almost, like, pretend this movie is what's going on at that Catholic school while Donnie Darko is happening in <laughs> another part of the school. Nice. It's just like kind of like slices of life. It's not a bad movie, I and mean, it's like if you like movies that are driven by conversation, it's and it's there's not that much artifice I, I don't to know. it. I gotta say it, that that film moves at such a clip, though. Like, I mean, so you know, those those kind of coming of age films usually are more of a slog than this was. Yeah, I, just I, I don't have an done. issue with the pacing. I mean, it's a very competently made yeah. movie, and like I feel like the dialogue is very naturalistic. And like I said, it's not so much that I'm dogging it. It's almost like I feel it was hyped up too much. Because yeah, yeah, totally. I like movies that are yeah. driven by, con- like, you know, like the Before, this, like, before Sunset movie? trilogy. Totally. like Or, you know, those. Like, it's just driven by conversation. You're getting kind of a verity thing. I like that. I don't think this is the best movie of the year. I think it's a yeah. good movie. I it, like the film. Didn't make my top ten, yeah. but I'm going to say this: like, if that film wins Best Picture, I'm going to be a little upset. I would be yeah. upset if you it know? won Best Picture. That's kind of my thing. Man. I'm kind of worried about because of the moment yeah. we're in that it might get like that. This is going to be one of those like unearned Best Picture things. Yeah. 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 Not quite crash, but not. Uh, I mean, that, that, yeah, that, that yeah. Kind no, of no but kind of crash. Like well, crash. no, no, no. My thing with I'll say Although this: it does have that crash two, two, song. two items on it. Is is that I lived in Sacramento in 2002, uh-huh. so I grew up in this scene. There are literally so many reference points, and obviously Greta Gerwig did too. And it's very, um, I even dated a girl who remind at the same time who reminds me a lot oh, of her. You, you um, want to know how much I can relate to this? 
I was waitlisted at UC Davis. Uh, <laughs> I did a girl who lived near UCD at the time, so it's just really um, that part was very it, the parts of driving around Sacramento, how Sacramento is in terms of its uh, like most cities, like its class division. I told Victor I was just ecstatic when I first saw this, and this is not an insult on it. I really thought this film, when I saw it 100% Rotten Tomatoes, and I heard the title and hadn't seen the trailer and didn't know anything about it, I go, if this is some kind of transgender movie where it's it's gaining points because of some, you know, instead of, not that there aren't important stories um, for transgender people, about transgender people, uh-huh. I'm like, but if that's seriously the reason this got based on that title, I was like, I- I'm going to be furious. I went to it, I enjoyed it, and, and why I'm saying that is because I don't like movies where I... The I, PC where the, where, driving the Well, it's not just the PC, it's like if people, a transgender, whatever the story is, are, are human beings, are as much, and have as many human interest stories just as much as anybody else, and it, their tales should be told. It's the issue is, is that I don't, you know, need like a cheering section for it either, where it's like, you know, it's, it's like you need to have that even... Then I found out it was this kind of Lena Dunham, who also is not my favorite thing. And and, and because of that, is, although it's interesting, this is actually told, Lena Dunham is extremely wealthy and grew up in an upper, um, you know... What does Lena Dunham have to do with this? No, 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 no. I'm saying... No. Oh, no, no. I was talking about because of Tiny oh. Furniture. Oh. Um, I was saying because she has that kind of thing. But this mm-hmm. is actually about a very low-income person. Sure. And, but really, the heart of the matter is about, yes, the mother daughter, which Adam hit on Yale's heart. I don't know, maybe because I'm very close to my mother, there were things that I found in this movie. I enjoyed it. I laughed. I thought it was funny. But in the end, they're just, it's like, yes, I enjoyed this movie. I, I think it was really good. But do I think it's 100% Rotten Tomatoes deserves the best picture? Not even remotely close. Could just close. be kind of a fit into a least offensive. But for the record, my number five is not Lady Bird. No, no, no. Uh, it is the Bad Batch. I was totally laughing about it yeah. in my head. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, it is we'll the Bad Batch. And Anna Lily Ermir pours the Bad Batch, which is on Netflix. Um, <laughs> Great movie. I, uh, I think Great movie. You, you, Very you good saw movie. it and you, yeah, you it's higher on my list. Awesome. Awesome. So, yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> we'll let's talk about it some more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, it is on Netflix and it is a divisive film. Like, and I think a lot of the, the movies that are on my list are divisive films. Um, and I think that's some of the best films out there, right? Is they should be divisive. Um, but you know, it is one of those kind of love hate movies, um, like some others on my list, uh, one in particular, um, and uh, you know, I'm just gonna oh say boy. in advance. I swear oh to God, God, if Valerian is number one, <laughs> I'm walking out uh, on that. Period. I guess you'll just have to uh, stay tuned and see. Oh uh, Lord. Um, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, my my but, number five is the Bad Batch. Are you ready yet, Kirby? Uh, yeah. I'll just throw one out. It's really hard because um, I actually decided this year. This is I think our third year doing this. First with this group, uh, the two we did previously with Victor and Adam and I. And Victor always found a great cheating way to do it, which was to do his top ten horror, his top ten films, his like top five <laughs> hey, we, documentaries. We can still do that. We have the honorable mention. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's just really really hard. But I want to give a. <laughs> we had to. We had this to is going to be the best four five. hours of your life. Best four <laughs> hours. So, Everybody but to keep it interesting. Hour. Yeah. I'm going to pick one in my top five because I really feel like this film went completely under the radar for so many different people and so many groups. And it was by far the funniest film of the year and as well as probably one of the most touching films I've ever seen. I was very proud. No, we are not going to. We'll wait till Josh gets to that one. Um, no, I'm going to go with um, Girls Trip. 
I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going there. Yeah, which I have brought up on the Girl, podcast before. I think you yeah. did bring yeah. that up. I did. Yep. And, and I did say this is was going to be the, my the one with the from Broad with City. No, this is... Um, well, she might be on. I, oh, I don't Scarlett know. Johansson. No, no, no. That was the... Yeah, that was... It's a Queen Latifah. It's Queen Latifah... J- Jada Pinkett Smith, Smith, but it's yeah, the yeah. Um, yeah, yeah the Tiffany Hardish who is the breakout star of this is absolutely one of the funniest, most amazing people. She absolutely deserves the Academy Award. I think the two things that really um, I want to say about this film is besides that, it's just for me it was laugh out loud funny. I mean, I nearly pissed myself laughing a couple times. Was that it's really genuine, really funny. I mean, it could have been they could have just made it super cheap. And not, you know, I mean, just played it for like very surface laughs. But this film has got, especially if you really want to talk about, um, you know, if you want to talk about like political things and stuff and underrepresented people. I mean, if you want to see a film about black women, uh, that's extremely powerful. Um, especially the speech at the end that Regina King gives is probably one of the most powerful things I've heard all year. And this is well before like the Me Too movement and all this kind of stuff. I mean, she really is like a predictor beforehand. And I absolutely um, think this film just hit on so many levels. And just, I had so much fun. I can rewatch it and still enjoy a lot of the jokes. And I just feel like it's one of those films that, um, you know, it did well, like, in the box office. I mean, it wasn't bad, but like, I hear no one talk about it. And I don't know why. I still haven't seen it. Yeah. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it was, it was sold as a comedy. Yeah, it's. Right. I, I, I thought think, it was a comedy. It is a comedy. It has though the ending, um, ha- and there's like a denouement kind of like moments several times through the movie. Um, it's really a like a self discovery kind of movie for all the four women, how they interconnect and personally. But it, you know, it's it's overall just fun. But it doesn't. Um, it's not like a preaching or a burdensome kind yeah. of thing. It's more like a just and not confrontational. But it puts it right out there for you, like a lot of the things in the world. And I just feel like doing it in a way where people can identify with it, no matter who you are, but also a very specific, um, you know, um, you know, some very interesting ideas and just powerful messages. But I mean, overall, I think it was just sold too much as a, um, uh, you know, like in the vein, you're like saying the Scarlett Johansson, whatever, yeah, the yeah. one where they remade very bad things. Um I can't remember the name of that one, or Bad Moms, or any of those, and it's Rough Night. Rough Night, night. Yeah. that's it. That's yeah, it. this is not it. Um, and I, I thought just... it was the sequel to Set It Off. <laughs> uh, Sorry. We can only hope. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, and I actually like that when something is sold as a comedy, and then it turns out to actually be more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the way I'd put it. I mean, I don't want to go on about forever. I mean, it's just one of those ones where, and I'm not trying to make it like, oh my god, this is so... You know, because God knows you're never going to hear me call something brave or anything like that. <laughs> it's just a film that was very funny, but had had true heart to it. That's what it gets to me. One of my other picks I'm going to have in my top four. I really love movies with a lot of heart and not in a Nicholas Sparks kind of way. Mm-hmm. I mean, in an actual, genuine, true human, like human experience kind of way. And that's where I felt like this film echoed um, really well. And just, I don't think that uh, you know, that people are like, you know, um, I think somebody just went and was like, oh, it's a black bridesmaids. And it's like, yeah, maybe, but I love bridesmaids. So I love bridesmaids. Yeah, so I mean, if you love that, you're going to love this. That's the way you should awesome. look at it. Awesome. Yep. I'm, I'm going to check it out. I mean, it's like as soon as that goes on HBO Go, which I'm sure will be very soon, uh, I will be watching the hell out of that movie. I, I think you'll enjoy it. I hope. Awesome. All right, so I'll just jump back. And Sweet. 
right. My my number five movie is actually the last of the movies I saw that made my top ten, and I was I actually didn't think I would really like this movie, and I ended up really liking it, and it is The Post. Oh, awesome! And it's uh, directed by Steven Spielberg. It, it has Meryl Streep in it. Ooh, you know, again, I was thinking Meryl Streep, best actress. This is probably an overrated. No, she's really good in this. I mean, I think you know that's the thing. That, newsflash, no pun intended. Um, yeah, Meryl Streep is actually really fucking good. Yeah, you know. So basically, the story of the post is um, it, it's all about when um, Daniel Ellsberg of the Rand Corporation had leaked the Pentagon Papers. New York Times and the Nixon administration filed an injunction against Spoiler. Them. Well, this is a yeah, historical event. <laughs> <laughs> had filed an injunction against them to keep them from publishing. And the story is about uh, Meryl Streep's character, Catherine Graham, who's the publisher of The Post, and her decision about whether or not she should allow Ben Bradley, who, who's played by Tom Hanks in this, and he's played by um, he, Jason Robards, played him in yeah. All the President's Men. Yeah, yeah about whether she should let them publish this because she has like these relationships with all the people involved and it's all about the relationship between the free press and the media which weirdly makes it a very topical like movie for our time uh-huh. and yeah. it's really interesting and well done and i it's just the performance is really good like um tom hanks is ben bradley i mean Again, the accent is not totally there, but it's a lot of heart in the performance. And the movie is just really engaging. And to me, the thing I really liked about it is this movie is drowning in comedians who are playing serious roles. Uh, and they are yeah. so good. Um, Bob Odenkirk plays um, uh, this, I think his name is Ben Jackian. And he's the one who gets the papers from uh, Daniel Ellsberg in the movie to publish them. For the Washington Post, and man, he's really good. I don't, I didn't know if he actually got nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this movie. It's too bad he really should have. Yeah, he's a fantastic. He's amazing actor, in this. David Cross also plays a serious character in this, uh-huh. and I was just like, man, this is a really good movie. And I mean, not to spoil it or anything, but if you've seen the beginning of All the President's Men, mm-hmm. that's where this movie ends. You could actually like watch this and all the president's men and they oh, flow cool. as like one big like thing about the nixon administration that's awesome i was man. like that's awesome that yeah. is a great catch right there i really like love this movie i would watch it again and again yeah because i've been I love really wanting to see that about man. the press it's just they're really good if done well and it's to me it's spielberg when he's really into something and i was listening to um um who was that uh he used to be on the daily show and he had a He had his own show on Comedy Central. Stephen Colbert. No, Mo Rocca, Louis Black. No, um, Larry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I'll get it in a second. But um, I was into his this podcast. That he, I think it was called the Nightly Show or something like that. Oh, uh, Larry Wilmore. Yeah, sure. yeah. Larry Wilmore yeah. has a podcast, and he had um, the guy who was in Get Out, who plays um. Uh, you know, the the guy who'd vote for Obama three times. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bradley Whitford. Yeah, Bradley Whitford is yeah. in this movie, and they were talking about it. And they talked it up, and I was just like, man, this movie sounds really interesting because he's he's the only person who's been playing like 
a, a non-real character. He's a conglomeration of characters. Oh, sure, sure. And he's, like, amazing in this movie. And he's just like, yeah, Steven Spielberg, he just had options, like, the this story, and he's, it's amazing. And he's just talking about, the, this whole podcast is him talking about uh, Spielberg and how he directs people. And it just right. sold me on watching this movie. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, I really like you and things, but I really like it when I can't tell it's you like right away. So if you could come in and do something that's different, so I can't tell it's you right away, but I don't want you to tell me what it is. Steven Spielberg is incredible with actors. Um, One of my favorite things that I've actually watched of his, uh, you know, like if you want to see him in action is um, it was done. It was, it's called the ET diaries and it's actually like on like, I think the Blu-ray pretty much anything has it now. But so the E.T. Diaries is actually, it's just like kind of fly-on-the-wall documentary of his directing process while directing E.T. And you see like the way that he's talking to the children and the way that he's getting these performances out of them. Yeah. And he just understands actors in this way of like being able to get them to be creative and to give them what he wants, but to never feed it to them. Yeah. You know, and what you just did right there is absolutely, you know, it, absolutely emblematic of that yeah and that's what bradley whitford is saying he was saying that jordan peele and steven spielberg were both like that where basically he's like i just want you to kind of approach this direction but give me something interesting like he knows this is about to happen but he doesn't really know why like right. you know he, he's sure. like he's saying he like spielberg wants to be surprised he, he doesn't like directors who like want I want you to come in and do it this, 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 this. Like, right. he, like he said, the best directors know that an actor is there to, you know, kind of, it's almost like a collaboration. Yeah. And this movie is really like that. Everybody, it's, it's got the, it, it has, um, it has just a lot of interesting performances by people you don't expect to give you the kind of performances they do. Um, what's that guy who was, he was on the first episode of Black Mirror this season. He was on Breaking Bad and Fargo. He was the captain of the Star Sure, Trek. I can't remember his name. Yeah, but you know yeah. who I'm I know, talking I know about. He plays a lawyer in this, and it's a little part. And it's too Matthew bad. Damon. Oh, uh, <laughs> Je- Jesse Plemons. Yes, Jesse yes. Plemons is in this. Yeah. And, you know, it's gone to the point now where I almost always expect Jesse Plemons to play a douchebag. Right. And he doesn't in this. Yeah. He plays, like, this nuanced character, but it's this little part where you kind of think, oh, he's got a shitty ingredient shitting grin he's gonna be an asshole but no he's really good in this in a little part i just want to say i uh, a while back i saw a uh, wind river finally mm-hmm. and it's the only role i've ever seen john barenthal in where he's not a total piece of shit what? like what? it's amazing that's yeah. amazing uh, he's pretty yeah. he's not he's kind of a in, in the accountant the Punisher is a superhero. Yeah, we could argue we get into the Punisher. <laughs> yeah but no it just blew when we said that that's the first thing i thought yeah. of like where you have a role I mean, you're beyond typecast. Yeah. Like, it is literally like you cannot be anything. It's funny because I've met him a few times. He's the nicest dude in the entire world. Like, he's so kind. Like, it blows me away. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's my number five. Awesome. awesome. Adam? Adam? Ingrid Goes West. Awesome. Ooh. I still have not seen that I haven't movie. seen it. So, no, this very is, interested. I just, for those of you keeping count, like, there's these are three of these films that I have not seen. I'm wow. so upset with myself. Yeah, uh, Angry Goes West is on M is on Hulu. Is it? It's on Hulu. You can watch it right now. I'm Hulu. watching it tonight. Uh, Aubrey Plaza, Elizabeth Olsen. 
basically that's like you know the big the core of the cast. Uh, oh, who's who's the guy who played uh, Ice Cube's son? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, the guy yeah, who is Ice Cube's son? <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. The guy who played, played Ice Cube, Cube played who is Cube also played his son, O'Shea Jackson. O'Shea Jackson Jr. This movie had had so many surprises, and I love the premise of it of the of, uh, social obsession going too far, um, and how you think it's going to go one way, but it goes another way. The characters are very well developed. Everybody plays it pitch perfectly. It's very California uh, in just the right ways. I, I was I was almost going to say something as we were talking about Lady Bird, whereas Ingrid gets it a little bit more on kind of the, the, the hippie-ish side and kind of more of the, the aloof side. But there's actually substance to the characters. They don't play it completely transparent. You know, there there is substance to each and every person. And they have their little nuances and they have their, uh, I guess, moment in the sun. Um, that's really well played out. If you like stuff like, uh, 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 what's the Robert De Niro? I like King of Comedy. Oh, um, yeah. You know, talented Mr. Ripley. Uh, Alamo did a series okay. for a month that yeah. had I, I guess, so, a so series of films, films, that films were, about that obsessives. Yeah. yeah, gotcha. Okay, I, but I, Aubrey Plaza, this is this was a, her perfect role. She was a producer on it as well. So I mean, her personality fit this movie pitch perfect. Awesome. Everybody did. It, it's just perfect casting. I love Might Aubrey not be Plaza for everybody, so much. But it, it's a very dark comedy. Yeah, Elizabeth Olsen was really good in it. I, I, I haven't been able to finish it yet because like, I wasn't in the right uh, frame of mind when I started watching it. It was like way too tense for me. Because like, like, it, it, it sounds weird, but it's like there's this like sense of dread in it. Yeah, it's... I love those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. I could probably enjoy it now, but yeah, I was like... As you're watching it, you're just waiting for something really, really bad to happen. Yeah. So you're always on edge the whole time. Yeah, and I couldn't handle it, right? It's like, oh man, this is just like... Like, there's something that happens early on where, like, she's orchestrating a meeting with Elizabeth Olsen's character, and I was just like, oh, God, I can't deal with this right now. This is, like, way but by, by the end of it, though, you don't feel like you just watched one of those sitcoms where you're like, oh, no. Yeah. Like, this is just going to make me so sick to my stomach because I know how this is all yeah, going to play out. Right. And, you know, somebody did this, like, oh, no, I didn't do that. You know, it's like kind of the uh, uh, different strokes type yeah. thing. Or we're like, no, I didn't knock over the base, but he knocked over the base, yeah. and then it takes yeah. like twenty minutes to find that was out my, that he did. That know, was like, my whole thing. I was, like I was like, oh man, it's gonna be like the fan. Did you guys ever see the fan? Fuck yeah, Wesley Snipes. Yeah, was awesome. Benicio del Toro. Man. Yeah, it's just like I just stopped caring, and then it's just like, oh man, that movie freaks me out still. So. Oh, I love the yeah. fan. So good. I mean, it's just Tony Scott. Yeah, it's freaking beautiful. Like just the way he shoots movies is incredible. Fuck God. Great director. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So now we're on our top four. Going back to Jasper. Back to Jasper. My number four was Spider Man Homecoming. All right. That's a really good movie. That is a good Mm -hmm. pick. If anything, like Michael Keaton Cruz, you can make any fucking. There's no small parts in Marvel movies. Right. Right. Small actors. Because, man, he's like. That is the most three-dimensional Marvel villain ever. Yes. Whoever wrote that script yeah. was a genius for, like, di- oh, he's a contractor who lost his job because of the government. Yeah. I mean, what, 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 what do you think, what would you say the best scene in that movie is? The best scene, hands down, is when he's sitting in the back of the car and Michael Keaton's like, 
exactly. You can yeah. drop this, or I'm gonna kill everyone you know. Yeah, right. dude, it was terrifying. No, no, I, no, no, I fucking believed that's it. That's one of two scenes. The one right before is when she's still in the car and he's figuring out that. Oh yeah, spider. Right. and they keep showing oh, his eyes yeah. that's in like the rearview mirror. Yeah. Yeah. that's like oh, out my of God. heat, dude. Exactly. I was like, yes, shit, right. man. It's like and genuinely so scary. What does he's that like, say? What does that say that in a Marvel Spider-Man movie that pretty much agreed upon here? I mean, unless that's the best Spider-Man movie, right? Right, but but absolutely in that film that we agree upon that the best scene is a scene with people not in costumes. Oh yeah, in a car, having a conversation like that because that's just great writing. That's great acting. Um, and yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, Michael Keaton is tremendous in that film, and that's a major issue with Marvel films: is their villains. They're so forgettable, um, and it really sucks. Like I was actually talking about a, this with a buddy recently about like hoping that Fantastic Four actually comes back because right now that's still like up in the air mm-hmm. whether the Marvel Studios going to get that. And it's like how much we need Doctor Doom yes. in these Marvel a good movies. Do- like, no, no and, and a good Doctor, Doctor Doom. Doom. Which you yeah. know they would do it right. If, if they actually finally brought Doctor Doom over, it would be right. And, I mean, it'd be hard to, you know, not improve over the nonsense we've had. But, uh, again, I think Vulture uh, <laughs> absolutely knocked out of the park. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think he's easily the Well, best here's villain. the thing. He wasn't the, the typical, even movie villain of... Right. I'm arrogant and big, and yeah. I'm going to do all this, and you can't stop me. And here's my entire plan that I'm laying down before I leave you to your doom. Exactly. <laughs> this is what I'll say. This is actually like a, this is a good con- con- counterpoint thing between like Taika Waititi writing Thor Ragnarok, where he's actively making fun of that kind of character yeah. yes. with Sorcerer at the beginning. Sure, like I will destroy. <laughs> uh, Whatever their realm is called, I yeah. forget what it is. It's like with fire and ash, and it's just kind of like, yeah. But the meta criticism is you as this type of villain is a stupid kind of villain, yeah. Yeah. you know. Because yeah, even Loki in the Avengers movies kind of played that character, yeah. You know, yeah. but the cool thing about Vulture was you were really at a point where if he had won, you kind of would have been okay with it because yeah. well, you were kind of on his side of yeah. He got screwed over. I totally understand what he's pissed about. Well, that's what they say. The best villains are the heroes of their own story. Absolutely. And that's why Loki also really works as a villain in the Marvel Universe. Because you can totally, like, get behind why he does the things he does. And that's, uh, honestly, that's kind of why I thought Hela was a shitty villain in Thor Ragnarok. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, they're trying to give her kind of the same backstory as Loki. But then she's kind of like like this weird criticism on, like, empowered yeah. bosses that I, like, what? She was still, I mean, I, I think Sorry, she fell into the category, she fell into the category of just, like, deliciously villainous and chewing scenery. Yeah. And, and that was great. I mean, I'll watch Kate Blanchett overact anything. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> I just kind of thought it was the, uh, Tilda Swinton white witch kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. That's honestly how I felt watching it. It kind of reminded me of her take on it. Like, Well, to me, it's really funny. Like, Hella, you know, Kate Blanchett is Hella, is almost like a shitty version of Tilda Swinton as Gabriel and Constantine. Well, oh, that wow. too. Again, yeah. another Tilda That's Swinton. Funny. Yeah. I also just want to say, Spider-Man: Homecoming um, was one of, is uh, I felt that way going out of it. And I would have put it in my top five, but since you already picked it, it's one of those ones where I truly um, felt it kind of the way I felt about Guardians of the Galaxy. 
Like, I wanted to watch it as soon as I left. I wanted to watch it again. Exactly. There were so many little things. Like, I have to say probably the funniest thing in any comic book movie this year is the um, the uh, gym teacher with the Captain America right. Right? PSAs. Hannibal Burris. Yeah, yes. his, um, yeah, yeah Hannibal awesome. Burris. Um, <laughs> it, it kills me. And he was on the wrong time. side of the TV. TV, yes, yeah, every, every time. And then in the detention. I like how afterwards he's like, well, you're not listening. He's, he did it anyway. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> but um, and uh, but I will say, I years a couple years back on one of these, I think it was our first one, I picked Clown as my favorite movie of the year. And, this was the same director. It just shows what, uh, you know, people that's with an right. eye for talent that John Watts is absolutely incredible. I think that's what made that vulture scene. Um, yes. The only thing I, only other time I have ever thought of another vulture is there was a video game years ago called uh, Spider-Man Shattered Dimension. Mm-hmm. It had Spider-Man playing through uh, Noir 2099, Spider-Man, the, the symbiote. Oh, yeah. But the Noir ones, he played against a 1930s vulture. It's great nice. in like a black and white. And uh, the vulture is a cannibal. Yeah. Wow. And, and just kills uh, all crazy. the time. And it's yeah. just vicious. Like, uh, I would have loved to have seen something like that. I'll also say the same reason Vulture works in this movie is also why the first season of Netflix Daredevil, why um, Vincent D'Onofrio is so good as the Kingpin. Uh-huh. Because it's a character you can like totally empathize. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, could, I could get why he's the Kingpin. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing is, this movie did everything right as far as they didn't jerk us around with an origin story because they figured out thank you it's yeah. like spider-man's like batman yeah. we all know we right. don't need right. to see it again yes. and there was no gwen stacy and no mary jane which they desperately or was there oh, was there. Not, uh, oh my god yeah the walk and talk i was good with that too as kind of a nod like he 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 we get it the uh walk and talk with ned as the speed up of the yeah. origin story yeah. was the funniest exactly. part so you got bit by a spider right I love that. Great pick, man. Um, Also, that's a movie that looks really good in 4K. I bet it does. Josh has a 4K TV. Hey, by the way, guys, did did I tell you? I got a 4K TV. You know you're seriously talking like a vegan right now. Like, seriously, (laughs) it's it's pretty full on. Hey, it takes one to know one. I know. I know. That's (laughs) why I'm saying it. Um, Actually, for uh, this, for my fourth pick, I really had to think about what films. It's funny, I'm going to go with Again, heart and visceral and the way I felt watching or why I enjoyed. But I also want to talk about this. And there's a lot of films I want that uh, this year where I had a huge amount of visual accomplishments. But with that combined with all those aspects, I'm actually going to go for number four with Coco. Larry. Oh, which oh yeah, so Coco. close. Awesome. Um, I love Pixar and all related um, features. And it's funny I find on my lists almost every year. I pick an animated or a computer animated film. And I think it's because I, I love that style, but I love having a film that um, can appeal to everybody, but also has it on so many different levels. I mean, I, you know, I, Coco made me laugh. It made me um, smile. It was just so beautiful and so well done. And at family is probably one of the most important things to me. And I think that's the universal nature of the movie. And I will straight up not even lie. I cried like a baby at the end. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most beautiful endings I think I've ever seen in a movie. I just, I, you know, every little element of it had um, a great, uh, not like a twist or anything, but it, you know, it, it wasn't completely linear. And the way the world, uh, or, um, you Greg know, the world, linear. Greg, Greg, Greg Lanier. Greg Lanier. 
Yes, um, from the old days here. But um, I really did enjoy this movie way more than I could say. It's um, and the more I thought about it after I watched it and um, got to watch a few of the documentaries on it and how it was created, it's just the cast and stuff. The fact that they didn't dumb it down and just let people speak Spanish and not have to worry about subtitles and stuff like that. Like, I just like it's such a smart film, such a funny film, just such an incredible movie. I I mean, truly cinematic art. And that's because uh, I, I, I was thinking about the other one I kind of consider in that same one, funny enough, also um, with a Mexican connection is The Shape of Water, which I uh, someone may have here. And oh, as much yeah. as I adored Shape of Water, and I truly did, um, between the two, I still think I, I'd probably end up, as Jasper stated at the beginning, I kind of had to pare my list down, and it's by what I really enjoyed the most. And that's a, that's a hard pick, because even some of the ones you've already mentioned, I would have put two. Um, like uh, that have been said so far, so it's it's difficult. But you know, I um, apparently this is also this episode is my list of regrets for films I haven't seen in 2017. <laughs> I have not seen Coco either. Because literally, so. I've got like a list of like five movies, and like you guys have like listed like three of them already. Yeah. That like I'm like these are like the ones I can't believe I didn't see these ones. Um, so yeah, I really want to see Coco, and I actually want to see it like while it's still on the big screen. Yeah, too, yeah, it's just. Can. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll come over and watch it in 4K. I will say this It'll is going to be really absolutely incredible in 4K. HDR. Yeah, <laughs> but um, just everything. Uh, oh, also, um, incredible music. Um, yeah. There's there's some really good musical films this year. We mentioned Baby Driver. I mean, it's an abs bad batch. Um, and I really do, even if you don't like one aspect of a film. And that's why I will say Coco. Can I ask you this? Cause yeah, I've heard rave, people raving about this movie. Is mm-hmm. it is it on par or even better than Kubo? You know, uh, I'm going to talk about this because it's something I sure. know for a movie, too. Please, go so, right awesome. ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah um, I mean, if you want to... I mean, yeah, please go right in, four, You should just hop in now. Sure. Oh, well, yeah. Was so, your number four also Coco? My, yeah, my number four movie is also Coco. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, just like Kirby, like, I, I was bawling at this movie throughout. Um, it's a very authentic to Mexican culture, so that's part nice. of, like, my background. Um one of the things that's like really crazy about this movie is you know the villain of this or no one of the main characters in this movie is uh this character uh de la cruz and it's like oh he's a matinee idol and everything and it's like very he's very much inspired by like uh this by uh this uh mexican movie idol who's also a singer named pedro infante uh-huh. and uh and then another one named Jorge negrete and then there's part in the movie where when they're in the afterlife uh, this guy just hangs out with the two characters, two people he's like inspired by, and it does nice. all these nods to like Mexican culture oh, throughout. That's really like awesome. you know, there's a party at his house, and El Santo is like, yeah, the El Santo is my awesome. El Santo is yeah. there. Frida uh, Kahlo is a big uh, character in the movie. So it sounds like it's something that it, it's not appropriation. You know, this isn't like the three. No, that's what I was like really you know? worried about because like. Before this, I also really liked the Book of Life, which right. Guillermo del Toro produced. And I, I very cynically, I I think a lot of people thought, oh, Disney's only doing this movie to kind of jump on the Book of Life, yeah. like Dia yeah. de los Muertos kind uh-huh. of bandwagon. And you know, Hispanics make up a big uh, chunk of people who visit Disney. Like I've gone to like Harkins, and they've had ads for Disneyland that are all in Spanish. Right, right. You know, and it's kind of like. 
You know, I think they were very much like, oh, we can't fuck this up. And they didn't. It's a really good movie. That's awesome. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting what Jasper was just saying, where it's like, oh, you know, is it kind of like Kubo and the Two Strings? It's very interesting because it actually is much more like Kubo and the Two Strings than the Book of Life. And it's much Agreed. more about Mexican culture That's than cool. Book of Life is, which I think Book of Life is kind of like, kind of taking away a lot of the Mexican element, trying to tell like a more universal story. I mean, the stories are still somewhat similar in some ways, but it's just kind of like, oh, there's nothing really Hispanic about the Book of Life per se. Right. Other than like design elements. Yeah, exactly. Because I felt that way. Yeah, I mean, I saw the Book of Life as well. I didn't see Coco, but I saw the Book of Life and I I did feel that way. Yeah. You know, I feel like this is a very kind of American story that's using assets uh, that are very much Latin. Yeah. Um, And this is like telling a very Latin story to Latin people. Right. Like even little things like, you know, if you go to Mexico, like uh, this it's it's a contemporaneous story set now, but people are still using like like video cassettes to watch things. Uh-huh. And in Mexico, that's still very much like a thing. Like people watch things on video cassettes. Yeah, you know, like makes it, sense. Yeah. So to me, it's just little things throughout right. the movie that like ring very true. So to me, and it's very touching throughout. Like that's it's, awesome. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's an absolutely just beautiful movie. It's one of those ones where. Like I said, it does have that cultural component, but you do not have to be part of that culture or have that knowledge of it to enjoy it. It's just, it has such a universal appeal, and that's, I mean, like, I think it's really important to be to be true and honest to it, but also to be your own, um, you know, universal one. I just, yeah. I, it's just, and it's one of those ones, like I said, if you can watch the behind the scenes, just to create some of the, the Land of the Dead scenes is insane to watch the animators and stuff like that. I mean, it took like months just to do one part of it. It's, I don't know. I think it's just a monument because that's not a talent I have. And it's just one of those things. It's just astounding. Yeah. So would you call this uh, upper echelon Pixar then? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh-huh. mean, so, I, I would say this and I mean, I would put this like with up. Yeah. Up, up, up is still my favorite, up, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's on that level. I'd say up still my favorite, but this is a very close second so far. Yeah, oh, man, Incredibles is my favorite. I love Up. Oh as well, man, yeah, to but, me this is I mean, much better. That's than incredible. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's wow, very funny, man. very sweet, very right. everything. Awesome. Number four, so, Adam. No, um, oh, oh, it yeah. is Joshua, isn't it? Oh, my apologies. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, Mother. Mother, which I did not see. Um. It's going to be very difficult to talk about this film without getting into any spoilers. Um. Okay. You know, it's it's that kind of movie. Um, did, uh, I know that Adam saw Mother, um, what about you? Did you ever see it, Jasper? Nope. Okay. But I've heard Wait, it. Yeah, I saw it. Now. Um, yeah. I, I did see it no, after, no, no. um, um, on post theater. I'd actually wanted to go see it based on your recommendation on the, um, sound design and mm-hmm. stuff in the theater. I just, it, it was one of those ones that just went out so fast yeah. that by the time I got around to it, it was already gone. It wasn't even in the dollar theater long enough to go yeah, see it. Yeah, I think it. it probably was like two weeks in the theater or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 So That's it was weird because I heard great things about it. Well, I mean, this I know. Is... I was bummed because I really wanted to see this movie, but it was the same night as one of our trivia nights. Yeah. Oh. And, like... and I remember, like, leading up to that, they kept sending us emails about, like, just remember, if you write about this, the title is Mother, lowercase, with an exclamation point. Exactly. And you must mention it that way. And I was like, whoa. 
yeah. Like it had this like okay. I love that. Yeah. I love it. There's something so annoying about that that I think it's 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 fantastic. Um, you know, and 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 I think once you have seen this film and you know what this film's about, that title totally makes a lot of sense as well. Um, but it's uh, you know, it, this is a Darren Aronofsky film, okay? Um, and you know, I wrote a lengthy write up on this, but um, you know, the, the the general gist of it is that Darren Aronofsky is somebody who started his career with taking on some of the most lofty, uh, deep subjects that you could do. I mean, you, you know, came out of the gates with pie. And it's Which like, I really like that movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, I mean, and he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to explore the nature of God through theoretical mathematics and, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, and then he does, uh, you know, Requiem for a Dream and he does The Fountain. And it's like, where is this guy going to go from here? And I think only naturally he went back down to doing things that were just simple stories. You know, I mean, he did The Wrestler. He did even, even Black Swan is simple. And yeah, frankly, it's still one of my favorite movies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And even Noah, I mean, even though it's a biblical story and everything, I mean, it's it's still very, um, it's still very kind of straightforward. I mean, it's, see, it's I'm excited because every single one of those movies, except Noah, which I right. haven't seen, are amazing. Yes. Absolutely amazing. Right. So, so that, the, the air of mystery around going to see Mother for the first time was, was really palpable because I didn't know what I'd be getting. You know, I didn't know whether I was going to be getting to something that was, it kind of looked like a horror or a psychological mm-hmm. thriller and not knowing what that film is. But, um, you know, without discussing plot elements, um, my reaction upon seeing that film, um, I, I don't know if I've had a more visceral reaction watching any film ever, to be honest with you. Wow. Um, just in pure, um, my just like was just wowed. Um, I mean, the, started normally enough but it gets to a point halfway through this film and for those of you who have not seen it when you see it you'll know um you know but there's uh there's just a point where it just starts taking your breath away um and it is and this is the film i was alluding to when i said it's a love it or hate it movie um you know because uh you know it's funny talking about 4k i'm on this facebook group right which is 4k blu-ray <laughs> collectors right okay so this why is do you a have a 4k thing. tv so no this is relevant though this <laughs> no, is relevant um but but so I was just uh, gonna say the Valerian. Fan but no, this is relevant. So so what happens is that like one of the things that people do is whatever new movie that just came out, they're like, hey, I'm watching this, and so it's like ten posts a day of, hey, I just picked up the it, you know, 4K Blu-ray or you know Blade Runner or whatever's out this week, and lately it's been Mother, and so everyone is always posting, and it's always like this movie's incredible or this is the worst movie I've ever seen. And every single post turns into a flame war of oh, like wow. two people saying either it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen or this is the worst piece of crap I've ever seen. In my There's life. nothing in the middle. There's nothing, nothing in the middle with me. I've never seen a lukewarm movie. Yeah, ever. I was watching. I, I was watching a, a, a podcast with another local group that does like horror reviews, and I don't. You know, again, it's just like any other podcast. You don't necessarily agree with them all the time. I like the fact that they're local and they they throw a lot of content out. Like, like two podcasts a week. It's awesome. Crazy. awesome. Um, wow. But they recently saw Mother, and they were sitting, the four of them, and the guy who leads the podcast started saying, well, you know, I don't really know if I like this movie or not. But by the time it, it went from all four and then back to him again, he's like, you know what? I really love this fucking movie. <laughs> just when they were just discussing it, you know, I said, well, here's a spoiler part, you know, we're to talk about it, and so the more that it's sunk in, 
it just, you know, the, it made him kind of realize, like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of like how me and Kirby were talking about killing. And it was Sacred Deer, which is what I was going to bring up. Yeah. yeah. And Victor, one of his recommendations was he said, you know, watch it again. And that's the way I feel about Mother, is I'll probably have to watch it again. Yeah. Because certain films, I, and this is also for like the, you know, your top list of the year. Is, is good, you know, you were talking about rewatching movies, all of us have said that, you know, it's and it's because, you know, sometimes you have your initial reaction, positive or negative, or whatever it may be, um, and some films take longer, since the one thing you can definitely say about Mother, of course, is it's an allegory, as is Killing of a Sacred Deer, um, or rooted in a mythology um, that some people believe in, some people don't, and it's one of those things where... Um, I would love to rewatch both of those movies. It's going to be, you know, probably not immediately. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't say, yeah, you definitely, as Adam mentioned, it's real hard to have a lukewarm yeah. response. Yeah. But I will say, no matter what that, and I do feel this way in general more about film, is, is that I can assess the different components of a movie and in a greater amount of fairness. And I think that that is a point of um, being able to... Um, speak not only more peacefully about movies but more productively and about any topic in general is just to i mean if you really don't like anything in a movie then it is what it is it is a love it or hate it but i do find like movies like one thing that cannot be like like for mother example like both the visual and the sound are absolutely incredible yeah. so even if the content right or the acting isn't your all-time favorite i mean it can how be can noted. you say it's the yeah worst how movie can you say year? it's Right, and that's, that, yeah. and that's the thing, and, and, and that's, um, I believe so many people are caught up in, you know, and as you mentioned, that it is an allegory, and people are so caught up in that allegory aspect of Mother, um, so that they say, well, uh, duh, I got it, it was obviously this, and it's like, well, no, that's not the point. The point I can't is have that, conversations like, you know, with people who, like, instantly start, start talking about the subtext of it's obvious animal right right well and that that it's somehow because they got what that subtext was that it disqualifies the film Um, because the point is not that you know what is that subtext the point of that film is like once you understand what that allegory is what questions is it asking yeah um and and to your point kirby again just uh you know the craft in which it is pulled off the things that darren aronofsky does and um i actually i picked up this fantastic book um that was kind of like a, um, a companion to another written by Darren Aronofsky. And when you actually see what that guy had to do to pull off, and he actually didn't storyboard the film. Yeah. Um, he, he did everything like as he was going because he wanted to feel it out as he was going. Um, wow. And I mean, it, it's just absolutely it, it, incredible. Um, yeah, and, and again, just, but to not recognize that craft and to say it's, it's just such a terrible movie just tells me you know, you don't know how to properly yeah. actually, you know, say well, what see, you want. I kind of like the, the polarization of either people love it or hate it. Right. I, I come to terms with that because this, I didn't intend on seeing this movie. When we got it at Alamo, I was just doing my sound tests and visual tests. And sometimes if I don't feel like watching a movie, I'll watch the first like five minutes. I'll skip ahead like an hour in. Sure. Make sure that, you know, if there's a loud part and that kind of season levels are okay, and then check out the end do my lighting cues it i it started to suck me in like right away uh so as i was you know most of the time when i'm watching if i do watch something um i'll also be working at the same time so the laptop will be there 
I, I was kind of, I was watching. I didn't get any work done that whole time. Right. <laughs> I was, I was verbally saying, and I, I, you know, it was just me in the theater. <laughs> I would not be able to watch that movie with a crowd. Yeah. Don't crunch into the microphone. <laughs> you're going to lose a whole demographic of the people. What is it? The, 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 oh, the, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's okay. Love we, you, brother. He's a sound engineer. I trust his word. It's all right. We, uh, we, <laughs> every time, I'm going to just, there's going to be a ghost of Adam if you ever crunch into the microphone again. <laughs> chomp, chomp, chomp. It's so good. But I couldn't, I couldn't tear my eyes away from it. Yeah. I was, I was speaking out loud, like going, "What the fuck is going on?" Right. I don't right. know how many times I said that. The best way that I could describe this movie without giving away any of the plot, plot or the allegories or anything is, it's a fucking nightmare. I've had nightmares yeah. exactly like oh this. Movie fever dream is actually, to, yeah, the term that that Aronofsky uses is fever dream. I'm really um, interested yeah. to I watch say, this I wanna, movie. I want to run right mainly over because it, I remember last year I saw Neon Demon, and that was totally that that movie. For I me. will say where, this: where yes, it's like absolutely. I hated Neon Demon so much. Yeah, you know, but I also knew people who loved it. I didn't know anybody in between. Like, yeah, I kind of like. You know, I would definitely say. I mean, in my personally, Neon Demon didn't make my top ten. This is my number four. Like, I think Mother is a terrifically, horrifically perfect film. Um, for what it is, but um, I think that Neon Demon is absolutely a really smart comparison here mm. because that is also just a, it's a very uh, polarizing film that um, it's just like even if you hate everything what that film is doing, you have to respect the craft. Yeah. Neon Demon is such a beautifully shot film and looks so damn good, has such great sound design and everything like that. Um, but yeah, and I'll say one thing, just one last thing about Mother. Um, is that uh, this is one of the most fun movies to watch with somebody who's never seen it. Because what Adam just described, you get to watch that whole thing happen. But see, the, the thing the thing about Mother is I don't recommend it to anybody. Yeah, yeah. I don't wish it upon anybody. Yeah. I mean, it really, it did something. I'm a changed person. Wow. See, it, you know, movie. here's, so, so the interesting story about me, I'm somebody who, like, I used to do this thing, like, I used to see movies that I really, really loved, and then I would, like, subject people to them because I thought that they were brilliant, and one of those films was Requiem for a Dream, oh. and, like, I, I just loved what, what Darren Aronofsky was doing cinematically so much in Requiem for a Dream, I was like, guys, you've got to watch this movie. That was so a great movie. Right. Well, that was a great even, movie to hit people. But with. I wasn't <laughs> even thinking about it on that level. I was like, this is an incredible movie you have to right. watch. And that's why I've done that with Mother to multiple people. And mostly to positive, like, wow, that's an amazing experience. Um, you know, but I, I luckily I haven't had anybody yeah. be like, what did you just fucking put me through? Right? Yeah. You know? I could see a hat. I mean, uh, I went to Minnesota like a month ago. And we went to this arcade bar there that was amazing. It was called uh, Up Down. Uh-huh. And um, so their TVs just play different movies while you're in there. And we went in there, and after the while, it, they put on Requiem for a Dream. Oh, what? Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> you're just getting the visuals. <laughs> and it totally works because you're seeing the eyes yeah, going and everything. Yeah, but I'm just like, man, like I hadn't seen this movie since it came out in like 2000, 2001. And I was just like, this movie's fucked up. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, totally. And and I mean, the way I described Mother when we talked about it on the show, and I'm glad that you you know are on the same page on, you know, with this, Adam. But I, I said it's it is Aronofsky's most harrowing film since Requiem for a Dream, and it's harrowing in like kind of different ways, but very much so. So yeah, yeah, Mother, my number four, absolutely loved it. All right, Adam. Oh, um, 
Dave Made a Maze. Oh, nice. Dave Made a Maze. Oh, nice. So good. Also on Hulu, FYI. So much nice. fun. I need to finish it because I fell asleep. You did. Yeah, no, you, even when yeah. you came over, you're like, I'm so I know, I know. Yeah. But uh, just, just a cute little charming movie about a guy who builds a labyrinth in his living room uh, out of cardboard and, uh, and and paper mache and but it's like the TARDIS in Doctor Who where it's small on the outside but it's like a big maze on the inside. It's such a visually clever and inventive movie. So right? he gets lost and stuck in there and then his girlfriend comes home. Uh, different things kind of happen to where then there's like more people who are interested in helping him out like his other friends. She calls up people. Uh, then there's like his camera crew buddy comes over who's like a indie documentary played by uh, James Urbaniak. Dr. Venture. He's also in Difficult People. He's uh, the husband of the main girl. And I think I think he does a lot to like kind of elevate the movie because a, a lot of the other people are pretty much unknowns other than the bum guy who just sits outside and eats the pizza and so on. Yeah. And while they go inside the labyrinth trying to find Dave and uh, so I mean everything inside there, even the uh, the Minotaur is you know made out of cardboard. Minotaur is played by uh, Johnny Nitro Morrison. Mindo oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. funny. I didn't see this whole movie, but I will say what I have seen of it. It's a very very witty, creative movie. Yeah, it's very, I'm very, very, very interested this. And I, I feel smart. terrible because you wanted me to see it so badly. You actually uh, put it for me. Um, you know, you gave me a copy, you lent me a copy of it, and I misplaced that copy oh, because no. I was moving right after that, and it made it into a freaking box, and I can't find it now, um, and so I still haven't seen it, but I do very much want to it's see it. It's very clever. Yeah. Yeah. So very Josh cool. will have to uh, binge, uh, binge <laughs> a lot. Dave made a maze and Anchorage Goes West, which are both on Hulu. Oh, oh that's also on Hulu? Yeah. That's perfect. I think Mother is streaming now, too. It might be on I, Amazon. I think I saw it on okay, Amazon. I'll have yeah, it. Amazon, I think, has it. Amazon just added a ton of stuff. Yeah, they I did. was shocked. They also, by the way, if you're looking for the incredibly obscure like 80s horror movies, right. there is tons of stuff that yeah. I don't think has ever been on Blu-ray, DVD, in any part of the world that I'm aware of. Yeah. Like I'm blown away by some of the stuff they've been on other things. They need a better interface, though, because yeah. I think they only have 20 True, exactly. true. But they're um, some of them are in like uh, look like they've been uh, at least upscaled, if not in HD. No, um, there are a lot of these are in HD yeah. and they're not available in any. Physical yeah, I was shocked. I remember Netflix used right, to have too. Yeah, I know HD. Netflix used to have the Keith nice. and Zone Troopers in HD, and it blew me away. Um, but uh, very interesting stuff. All right. Yeah, right, Jasper, your number three movie. All right, you guys are going to notice a pattern here because my number three is Logan. Oh, that that was awesome. in my top ten. I was wondering where Logan was going to pop up. Here it's my number again. three, and uh, great way for Hugh Jackman to go out as Wolverine. I think I don't think he could have well, done this it. time. This, what do you, yeah, yeah. I don't think he could have done it until the Tony version. The dream that Hugh Jackman's always had. <laughs> all singing, all dancing. <laughs> Slogan is such a good movie. I love the way it uses the comics of like this. Oh, this is like this. Oh yeah, meta narrative yeah. that people wrote about them. Right. Yeah. It was cool. It was uh, very well done. Very. Uh, it was finally the Wolverine movie I think I've been waiting for. Yeah. Because you, 
and I had a discussion with a friend of mine that I grew up with uh, reading X-Men comics, and we both agreed that he was finally the Wolverine from the comic yeah. book. They did away with all the uh, huge, snazzy one-liners, you know, uh, you know the, the cheesy stuff they Art. did. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, you know, the cheesy stuff they did in all the other movies. That, even though they were funny, you're like, yeah. You know, the worst one I think ever, I think probably they got out of the way early, was the first X-Men movie where uh, they're like... How did I know you're really Wolverine? You're a dick. Oh, okay, Cyclops. You know, <laughs> so and you, it had. Uh, it was the, a simpler time, too. right? It had the violence, it had the blood, it had the language, it had everything it needed to be a proper Wolverine movie. The scene in the beginning where the dudes try to jack his car, yeah, that was, and he just rips the living shit out of yeah. him. Was I was I was. 11 years old again. Yeah. yeah. Reading the first run of Wolverine when he got his own title. So right. awesome you know what to I mean? finally have yeah. blood in Wolverine. Exactly. Movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I loved everything about it. Um, they made me extra sad that Xavier was the way he was. I was really invested in everything happening in the movie, I think. Yeah. All the way down to, you can't, oh, spoilers if you, can't, well, if you haven't seen it, whatever. You can't, uh, you can't kill his family. They were just trying to help. You know, I was on the edge of my seat. Like, I yeah. can't believe they're doing this. Oh, my God. Right. You know, type of stuff. So they did it really, really well. And I was very, very happy with it. And it was and Have you seen Logan Noir? I have not yet. Mm-hmm. But I, I, have, do, the, I, I have the poster for I do point. not think Logan Noir <laughs> is as good as regular yeah. Logan. I was just curious what your guys' yeah. thoughts on that were. Um, I don't think it worked as well as the Fury Road it, yeah. kind of yeah, uh, see, stuff. I don't really think the Fury Road or the because they weren't shot on film. I think the the version Adam Adam did. A I gotta version. say, yeah, Adam's no just, no joke. Adam's Adam Fury Road was the best. I will say yeah, much yeah, better than better. actual shiny from yeah one hundred percent like seriously. And the, At, the, the work was obvious there that you put into yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, but I, mean, I, I wish s- everybody could see. I did way. see Logan more, and it's like it, it, it doesn't work for me because it wasn't shot on film. So it's like when there's those shots of light coming into that cobbled oil drum, mm-hmm. and there's no brain in there. It just and that was because exactly of all the blood. It's in black and white, so it, it like it actually takes right, away from right. it to me. Yeah. That's just my opinion. In case you didn't know, for those listening, that Adam has is unbelievably talented and uh, has a uh, no man. I could not <laughs> sing your praises enough and mean every word. But, I mean, he is literally like a uh, a Silk Road, like a Chinese Walmart of, like, high-quality wow. criterion cuts of movies. Oh, yeah. His, yeah. I swear to God, I, I didn't – I think it's the only one I posted because I didn't want to get into trouble. But I had more people hit me up on your um, Ash vs. Evil Dead Season 1 Supercut. Super yeah, just yeah, the packaging cool. Dude, people were offering me. I watched more than I watched the actual – Yeah, it's incredible. Because it just flows – I'm yeah. still holding out for that season two. Yeah, like I don't even too. want to watch season two because like I want yeah. that season two super cut. And I understand how many hours go into it. I still yes. want it. Um, yeah, that's what yeah. it was. When I was like, working like twenty hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I and you know I I will say this like Logan. I love 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 aspects of Logan. Um, there are a lot of things in that film that keep it from my top ten or even probably my top fifteen. And it's the way that it, it like tries to kind of go to traditional superhero movie like near the end. Yeah, you know? if it, if they did not have X twenty four at all in yeah. that movie, that would have been probably one of my top superhero movies of all I mean, time. Up there with mind. the Dark Knight. I, w- I was saying that at yeah. one point. It was literally I was like I could see it dovetailing, and when that right. came in, I was like, 
Um, yeah, exactly. But and just stuff with I the like kids and... it is much better than the Wolverine, which again the first half yeah. of that movie, it's like okay, I'm on board with this, and it's like then the Silver Samurai. Samurai. Shows yeah, that's up. what yeah. I was just gonna yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Sure. That that's my issue with the Wolverine. I was so impressed by until the second half kicked yeah, in. Yeah, that movie was visually and everything was great. With the Logan, first half, yeah, I, that yeah. whole train yeah. sequence. Yeah. Oh, it yeah, was totally. telling a little story. It was insane. But Logan. I feel like yeah, the very end, they went Joel Schumacher Batman yeah. on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, the big issue for me with the Logan was the, um, it's like you say, there's like a positive to it. It's like the, uh, they're not going to kill this family, are they? Exactly. And that part is wonderful. Um, but the, because um, I like films that are willing to take, obviously, risks and stuff. My issue was I just could not deal with that subplot with the uh, the um, big corporation. Stuff like that, it's just you too, know, too was, much I for me. I was all right with that because uh, it was see, the I, same abs- big corporation that was doing the crops. That was doing it. Was yeah, just like, I, but I just, was, it, know, it just Monsanto didn't. Monsanto be yeah. yeah. But that's the thing. It just felt like it didn't fit for me. And it's just one of those things. It's also the one that absolutely I could not stand is the very end with the, uh, oh, God, all these preservatives or whatever that are making us not losing our mutant powers. Yeah, it's well, that's just, what it is. It was like yeah. the final solution for me. Yeah, it but it's that. just. That's why I was alright with it. It actually yeah. did play into the whole no, thing. No, but if it had been. It's got what mutants crave. But it just, if it was built into the movie better, I probably would have been okay with it. But the way it felt was super, like, preachy. Yeah. It's the way a, a lot of comic book movies for this year just did not flow. Only Homecoming for me completely flowed start to finish perfectly. But I liked other movies. The Logan thing for me is, is exactly that Jasper hit on. It's like that dream when you're a kid. It's like, God, why did Nickelodeon have to buy Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles so I could have finally had oh, right. my red clad yes. Eastman Lair right, right. killing yeah. machine? that eventually. One of these days, I mean, um, I just want that more than anything. But, but, right? you know, I mean, I do want to say, I mean, it's as far as some, some positives on Logan, because I mean, there are things I absolutely love about that film. Um, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart and the way that they handled, you know, I mean, having a. Uh, you know, somebody who's one of the greatest minds in the world with mm-hmm. Alzheimer's was just yeah. like heartbreaking. The way that he acted that was wonderful because Patrick Stewart for so long has just played Patrick Stewart. Yeah. And he's such a talented actor. Right. I mean, if you look at some of those best episodes of The Next Generation, uh, just absolutely. He's, he's as good or better in this than he is in Green Room. Yeah. You know? Oh, well, Green Room's a very, I think, purposely understated role. Oh, yeah, um, but he. he... That movie works because it's really yeah. understated, and then, yeah. you know that whole thing where he's, oh, he's just kind of just he just owns a property, and then he's just like, oh, you got to keep him away from that yeah. N word dope. I'm like, oh, there you go. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, so I really, really loved that, and, and he that did it. So I, yeah. I in the movie theater when he, when Professor X died, I was yeah. like sitting there going. I'm not going to cry, dude. I'm fucking Wolverine movie. I'm right. not going to do it. Right. And I'm tearing up. I'm like, stop it. Nobody can stop it right now. Um, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then also, I one thing I just love, it is one of my like little kryptonites. Is just, I mean, every time if, if there's something like this, I'm like, okay, I love it, is subtle future shit. You know, it's like they didn't yeah. languish in the mm-hmm. fact that it's future, but like having yeah. those like driverless semis. Exactly. Like, yeah. Passed on the freeway is so freaking cool. Um, so yeah, Logan's definitely a good pick. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, honestly, you know what would be a really good movie to watch along with with Logan. I think kind of works together is Looper. Over the Top. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Over the Top. I have not seen Looper. No, Looper is awesome. It's another like near future. But yeah. I think you could. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah. that also like little kid yeah. and like, that's what it needed if we could have just swapped out an arm wrestling competition right. i would have i would have been so <laughs> much happier you can, you can pair over the top of just about anything you that you can to be fair strangely enough that is one of my mother's all-time favorite movies <laughs> like if you ever wanted to have like your surprise like parents oh, awesome. like it's movies really my movie. mother adores that movie, movie so much it cracks me one of my right. dad's favorites was no holds barred Oh, see. There you go. There you go. All right, Kirby, number three. Um, Yeah, so anyways, as I I stated earlier, that Victor, um, the way we used to do this was kind of split. So I really did do, obviously for me, as many know from this podcast and life in general, obviously the horror film picks were pretty heavy. I had like 10 or 15 alone that I was trying to pare down. But I was able, so the rest of my list is going to be like horror pretty much because Really, that's what I enjoy most, and that's the thing. Obviously, so uh, for number three, though, I'm going to go with the biggest horror hit of the year, which was It. Awesome. Yeah, and, very uh, good movie. Yeah, and it's um, what it comes down to for me when with It is, is that it's probably rewatchability. my... It's probably oh, rewatchability. Yeah. It's my favorite Stephen King novel, and I have a real hard time because I love The Stand. I love The Shining. There's so many... But to see another cinematic adaptation, it's it's updated version, a different idea... Um, just an absolutely perfect cast. Um, probably one of the best ones. I teared um, up at the end of this yeah. movie. And I really just, there's a universal nature in Stephen King's film. I know I've used that term a lot, but I think about, um, obviously, your coming-of-age story yeah. in the most messed-up way possible. Um, between this and Stand By Me, I think are his two best, um, obviously very similar, different losers clubs. Yeah. Sure. But um, I just, you know, I rewatched it a couple more times since then, and it's it gets better every yeah. time for me. I, I I'm gonna say now, like you know how Freddy Krueger was kind of like the boogeyman of the '80s because of all the elements that went into making that a good movie. You know, all the kids were likable. You empathized. He was, you know, there were big set pieces uh-huh. to show off the, you know, Freddy Krueger the monster. It is going to be like Nightmare on Elm Street was for kids growing up in this nice. decade. Because literally, like I was watching this, is like this is like what a, a slasher horror movie should be. Oh yeah, set pieces, really freaky, like villain. It's relentless. Too, yeah, in its pacing. Yeah, it is. Like it's I mean, I, I, you know, I rewatched it recently um, as well, and I was like, wow, it's like this movie doesn't like stop for like five minutes. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's like always giving you scares and and I right off that, the bat oh yeah absolutely and i think that that could um theoretically you know that could wear on you and i think listen to some you know reviews that i've listened to it does wear on some people um personally i love it i, I love like how much it's like no 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 we want to keep you interested um and uh it's a film that i mean i will tell you this much um i when I made my original first draft top ten list, um, I made the entire list and didn't include it anywhere. And then, and then afterwards, like, what the fuck was I thinking? I <laughs> love it. I yeah. love that movie. And so I actually ended up bumping something off and moving it to my number at least seven spot. Um, so I really, really love it. But it's one of those things that, like, every time you watch it, there's like these little bits that you keep picking up. There's this part that I just noticed in the library when Ben is in the library and you've got him like looking at the books and in the far background, there's an old lady, right? Yeah. You know, and, and then and every time she's like changing and it's like yeah. unnerving. Yeah. Um, you know, wow. and there's like these little kind of details and like, even like in the beginning of the movie when the TVs are on, it, it helps when you're watching it in 4k. Yeah. 
such a weird little thing is a Ben being a nerd who's into new kids on the block. Yeah. And it becomes a running joke, but only like, but it ha- it's a joke with art. Yeah. It's not like, look, nostalgia reference. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I, exactly. I was very afraid that this was going to go to Stranger Things overload. Yeah. And yeah. I am a Stranger Things fan, but Stranger Things does have a bludgeoning effect with nostalgia that I do have an issue with, especially in the second season. Yeah. It's just a little too much. And in this film, I felt it was like very subtle. Like when Richie talks about going to play street fighter for the rest of the summer yeah. and you know, like nightmare on Elm street five is at the theater and yeah. just yeah. little yes. bits yeah, and pieces. Yeah. That yeah. just work really well. Like, um, it does have a lot of layers. Um, and it's just, yeah, there is something you can see each new time you watch it. And, but overall it's just, fun if you grew up with the yeah. book the novel and the miniseries some people i do have a very divisive thing and they're like but i'm like this film does have multiple interpretations well it's so, one of those movies that rewards multiple viewings too because yeah. i remember like i was watching it with ruby and she was like oh did you notice when um the girl's spot fa- when bev's father is watching TV. Right. This weird, about the weird the kid shows like you should all, you should go hang out in the yeah. zoo with your friends. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I don't remember him watching a kid show at all. It yeah. was like yeah. white noise. No, because then when you go back and watch it, when Bev walks through, it's a kid's show. Yeah. When it goes back, yeah. it's white noise. Yeah. And also why is that dad sitting there watching a kid show? Yeah. I mean there's all these things that are there to just throw you off. Well and that runs through the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the effect that the and that's obviously such an important component of the book and the original film is yeah. the adults, yeah. obli- uh, you know, being Dairy, ambivalent or right. being malevolent with it. Yes. You well, know, the fact that Derry itself is number the, one a yeah, character yeah. and also has a uh, a corrupting effect. Mm. And the longer you're in Derry, the more you are corrupted, and that's why the adults are corrupted. Yeah, yeah. It had its own. It, it does its own thing. I mean, it, it has its own original take. Um, and uh, even though it wasn't as perfect as I'd hoped, of course, I mean, obviously my expectations were running really high. It's still delivered. And that's when, when I came back to making my list, kind of like the way you were talking about I was like, I didn't originally have it at, like, the top of my list or anything close. It's just, yeah, when you get down to, like, five films, it's really, really hard to pick. I like to have yeah. a little bit of diversity because I did pick, you know, a few horror films for my top picks. Mm-hmm. But it's just that it's the one that probably had the most fun with. How about that? Yeah, it's like, here's my list. This one is the one that was the most fun. Um, and then my other two are the ones that made me think. All right. So, yep. So, Josh, we'll move on. Yep. Three. Go ahead, Josh. Uh, so, my number three. So, this is a film. It's one of the most recent films I've seen. Um, in fact, when I made my first top uh, ten list, I hadn't even seen this film. When I saw this film, it had such an effect on me that I was like, I have to find a place for this. And the place ended up as number three. And that was The Florida Project. Um so, 
which yeah. I meant to watch before this day. Now, this is when we were talking about Lady Bird. I wanted to bring up Florida Punk and right. to see if anybody had it on their list. Because that was kind of the, I think, like a little bit more of kind of a oomph that, uh-huh. that Lady Bird, I thought, needed. Yeah. Because in, in, they're very kind of similar in the in the tone right. and approach. But it, it goes to another place that might, which I kind of expected it to go in that place when it yeah. started un, unveiling itself. But I was okay with it because you you were already invested in the characters. Yeah. And I have to say, William Defoe. Oh yeah. Fucking kills it in this movie. Absolutely. He reminds me of just like some dude that I just really like. Yeah. Like he's well, so he would, good what he would in this do, movie. Um, so to prepare for that role, like he actually went down to Florida and he spent weeks with all of these hotel managers and just kind of learned things about their lives. But the way you know that. You know, and, and just the general thought of this is it's filmed. It's it's like what is called the the hidden homeless. Um, so these are people that are not living on the streets, but they're living in basically extended stay hotels. Um, and you know, Willem Dafoe he plays somebody who's the manager. He's not even the owner of this place. He still has bosses as well, but he's kind of like this de facto father figure for everybody. Um, and he's kind-hearted, and he's a guard, you know, kind of a, a guardian for all of them. And he's these kind of, in a lot of cases, parentless children that are just wandering unsupervised. And he's like a guardian angel for all of them. But he paints, and he, and he always redoes it and because it wants it to have, have it look good. But he paints this entire place called the Magic Castle, um, which is right outside of Disney World. So it's this hotel, this kind of slummy hotel that's right outside of Disney World called the Magic Castle. But he paints this in this, in this mauve color. Um, and, and he does this because that's a fun color for the kids. And he wants these kids, as terrible as their lives really are, they want them to have this little bit of magic in their lives. And these are kids that are too poor to ever actually go to Disney World. Yeah. Even it's right Which, by there. the way, Florida Project was the name of Disney World when it was being developed. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, it's just I mean, absolutely, um, I think it's a beautiful film. I think that it could have gone too far. You know, as you brought up, Adam, I mean, I th- it could have gone too far. I had high hopes because Tangerine, um, the last film from this director, was, was very, very good as well. Um, and also, I think, walk that line without becoming preachy. And this film does that. I mean, it's not only just a stupendously well-shot film. It's gorgeous. But, you know, you have these performances from these kid actors. Um, you know, but there's... I, I mean, I'm going to say, like, this is a film that affected me in a really personal way. Um, I, you know, and I've mentioned before, I had a very poor upbringing, and I spent a large part of my childhood living in hotel homes. Um, and I have never, ever seen my childhood represented on screen, ever. And to see that, to see these people finally recognized and seen, these people that it's like, yeah, they're not starving, but they also don't know where their next meal is going to come from. And they're living in hotels. And, and, and the funny thing, these hotels are $35 a night to stay there. That is more money in rent than I paid to my two-bedroom apartment for Huey. But the fact is, is these people can't get up the security deposit, so they're coming up with $35 a day. And, and it's this idea of how you can be incredibly poor in this country because we're such a wealthy country but yet actually still make a good amount of money. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and so I, I felt, you know, again, just, you know, you mentioned in terms of uh, crying at Logan. I mean, I think it's so funny. And, and this is, I just have a little beef, I have to say, um, 
just in general. And I mean, you being somebody who's a projectionist, I don't know if you have any ability to do this, but there's this thing that movies do now, um, theaters do, where the second the the, uh, the the credits roll, the lights come up, and I fucking hate it. It absolutely drives me crazy. Oh, no, crazy. I don't do that. Good for you. Thank Good you. Good for you, Eric. Um, because it's like yeah, the I second, the yeah, second the that. lights are up, and it's like, movie's over, get the fuck out. Yeah. And um, so... I, I think it depends on the movie in the theater. Like, I noticed, like, at more mainstream movies where they're just trying to get you the fuck out of there. Right. Like, yeah. You know, like Star Wars, you see that... It, there's a little bit more to it than that. It's not the decision of the theater. Uh-huh. The, uh, the deluxe Technicolor who sends us the, the drives the movie if it's you know if it's not uh, the film not ready to take it. Uh-huh. So, you know, sorry, people. Right. Uh, they come on you know hard drives. Then uh, they give you a sheet that says credit start time, credit roll. time. So the role could be different. Like if there's, you know, like, uh, I don't know, at the end of like Cannonball Run when they're doing all their funny little jokey right, stuff right, right. or whatever, lights will still be down. That's But the, the credits start there. Once they're done doing all the jokey stuff or extra stuff, and, you know, and then, they, then they start to roll, that's generally where they'll give you the roll time. Now, at a lot of theaters, they don't have dedicated projections. So what they do is they just plug in those numbers. Those oh, numbers okay. are absolutely absolute oh, most of the time. Right. There's also some systems that uh, can recognize where that is marked, like almost like a CD or even like on a movie, and you can say, okay, point, you know, at, at, the, at that five mark or whatever it happened to be a part of that chapter. Right. Um, they just blindly do it. I'm sure if they got feedback from other people, I remember specifically, well, I, I let it go a couple seconds more after that because I'm a little bit more in-depth in stuff because I take care about how everything is presented on screen. Logan was a perfect example. If you if you saw it anywhere other than Alamo Draft House, you got the lights going up right when it went Logan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when I watched it and I realized it, and the lights started coming up right at that Logan part when you're just like devastated. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. very jarring. Yeah, right. and, so I was like, no, I got it. Like, I, yeah, that's exactly. Totally. Like, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's harder for me to speak to that because a lot when we, when I go to a lot of these critic screens, right. there is a dedicated projection. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I, I go to see the Florida Project at Film Bar, and oh, I, mean, I, well, I go, go through this. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So I go through this uh, entire film, and I'm like, um, you know, hey, I'm fine, I'm good, right? It's not dusty in this theater at all. You know, <laughs> um, this is good. And even the film goes to the end, and I mean, it, you know, there are sad things that happen. I think that's probably not a newsflash to people who mm-hmm. might believe there are sad things that happen. Totally fine, no sniffles at all. I'm watching with Alex, and she's already over. And then the very, very end of this film, and Adam, you'll know because you've seen it, 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 it does something that I can only describe as magical realism. Um, you know, it's something that, that is not really happening. Um, but as soon as that moment happens, the film jacks up its color and lowers its frame rate, and it tells you that what's happening right now isn't really happening. It's, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of like the end of Birdman. Yeah, it's kind of like yes. oh, kind yeah, of right. split on it, you know, like going, did I like Danny? Did I not like Danny? Right. But really, was that the point at all? Yeah, exactly. You know, it doesn't but, matter, right? Exactly, it doesn't matter. It's like this is what we, this is the ending we want to leave you with. But when it did that, I mean, it was Niagara Falls, and I mean, I was just probably more than I'd ever in my life cried in a film because it's probably been building up this entire time. Yeah. But then I was just like, oh my god, and I was completely 
devastating. I think that's how I was at Coco. Right. Coco, dude, the mama Coco part. It's so hard that I I was like. Like, literally, from like the end of that movie to like probably like. 20 or 30 minutes, I was still crying. Yeah. Wow. It took me like yeah. half an same hour it, it to took, put myself together. It took me half an hour to actually pull myself together. I couldn't even talk. But it's a, that moment as though I just want to sit here in the dark for a second. Lights come up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, I'm like, oh God, you know. So anyway, yeah, the Florida Project is a film that I, I again, it, it wasn't even in my top 10. I saw it. it. It made it to number three. It made such an impact on me. And again, part of that was very personal. But um, I think it's just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I really actually wanted to say this. It's funny enough, actually, about four or five years ago. I, I want to say I might be wrong on the timeline, but there was a series of um, I, I, definitely award-winning. I don't remember which journalistic prizes, but it was actually about the motel children of Anaheim, California, uh, right outside Disneyland. And it was, of course, the contrast between you know, this, this struggle to survive and then being to America's dreamland kind right. of thing. Happiest place, Happiest place on <laughs> earth. Yep. And, uh, it was ex- extremely powerful journalism. Uh, probably some of the best written, um, human interest I've ever read. Tr- I mean, truly amazing. And it's, so that's when I heard about this film, which I heard much later, it really did not get a lot of, um, uh, you know, like that typical that that pre-Oscar kind of push. Yeah. I I had expected to hear more about this and um, I will say this and I Tanya were my top two. I really wanted to see before I did this list, right. and it may alter it down the line. I always expect that every year something's going to happen, but I can say that both of those were my um, big ones, and they just it's that they came a little too late yeah, in yeah. terms of when I could see them. I'm glad I was able to catch it at Film Bar. I mean, that's not my preferred place to go yeah. to see a film, but I'm glad it was playing there so sure. I could catch it. Um, and I just want to say one thing. This is not one of those hard-to-watch movies. It's not one of no. those. I mean, it's a it's a delightful film. It's incredibly funny. And yes, it's it goes... Yeah, it, it yeah. goes to some places. Here, so it's, it's, it's not kids. It's, it's not. It's not that kind of film. It's not an <laughs> issue, capital I issue movie. Yeah. Um, it's, it's I assume this funny. was something like American Honey kind of. I would say no. It's 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 a lot more funny and whimsical than. And that. that's and that's a slice of life. And it's yeah, funny that, that, to pop that, in that uh, you bring that up. That that's what I was trying to bring up with um, when I heard the title Lady Bird. I guess that's the best way I can describe. You hit the nail on the head. It's the I with the capital uh, issue right. with an I. Right. And I, it's one of those movies where if I feel like that's what I'm going into, you become very like, yeah. no matter what your feeling is, you become like, well, maybe this is not. You know, I liked it feeling unexpected in a movie. Yeah. So, and that's what I was excited about this one now that I heard about it. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Victor, uh, big my number three. Number three movie is I, Tonya. Nice. Oh, speaking of. Nice right segue. Up. Neon is actually doing much better on our list than A24. Right now. <laughs> yeah. That's but, um, I will say, they, the A24. Which, by the way, I. I by, five, by six through ten, dang it. Yeah. <laughs> I did watch Killing of a Sacred Tear at like eight last night, just trying before work to get through this. Like, Gosh. I was like, because I'm trying to watch as many A24 films. Yeah. Because I think last year. Yeah, it was last year that I picked. Uh, it was The Witch, Green Room, and I think Kubo. But Swiss Army yeah. Man was real close yeah. too. It's yeah. it's hard. A twenty four is a constant uh, creator of good yes. content. But I will say, like, um, I think this was one of the movies that like it was kind of part of the bidding war between those kinds of studios. But like Iton, it, it it was one of the blacklist movies for I think two thousand sixteen. This is the best done through these right. screenplays. 
and it's directed by uh, Craig Gillespie, who um, did the Fright Night remake oh, with yeah, Colin Farrell, and um, I think Agreed. he also did so, uh, Lars and the Real Girl. Right. Yeah, and uh, I, this movie is basically like the story of Tanya Harding from birth till now. Yeah, and. <laughs> You know, it, it's it's one of those things. It's shot in a, this kind of like weird verite kind of thing, where it's kind of four by three on some parts. Some parts are like gonna be kind of like faux, like videotape interviews. Yeah. And it very much breaks the fourth wall a lot. Like you're getting these contradictory yeah, stories. Yeah, it's, it's Rashomon. You know, yeah, that's yeah. one thing I love about it is it's it's so Rashomon in the way that um you know it's like you're getting uh, these you're, you're getting both Tanya's as well as Steve Buscemi's like or Jeff you know, Buscemi's yeah Jeff Buscemi's sorry uh, Jeff Buscemi's I think they call him Steve he's like a yeah that's what he yeah. changed his name oh, to. Yeah. oh yeah. yeah okay yeah so so anyway you get Galuli's like kind of uh, you know the whole thing and you you see these things play out these contradictory yeah. things and it's it's very funny it's just one of those things where you're getting like uh, a lot of supporting characters a lot of color and like those performances in it are really subtle I re- I would not like be at all upset if Margot Robbie won Best Actress for this. I thought was she, she nominated? Yeah, I think so. Wasn't she? No. I, I mean, I know that um, Larry Metcalf or not Larry Metcalf, the other. Oh yeah, Allison Janney. Allison Janney was nominated, but I don't. I don't think Margot Robbie was. Yes, yeah, she was. Oh, was she? Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Good for her. So it's it's enough that she was nominated, but yeah, she is awesome. tremendous in this because this movie has a big challenge of making a real person who is not that well liked seem relatable and sympathetic <laughs> yeah and she nails that throughout it's like you know i can kind of see why this was fucked up and you're kind of getting some behind the scenes of like you know they were her and nancy kerrigan were friends in real life you know she was kind of surrounded by idiots right. um and there's this guy in this in the movie his name is uh oh. paul walter hauser Dude, and he was not nominated on. for best supporting actor but he damn well should have been I mean, roles like that very rarely are recognized but damn that that guy in my opinion He's amazing. More than Allison Janney. Yeah. This movie, to to put it in perspective for somebody who hasn't seen it, this is a lot like a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. This could have been like a season of Fargo. Right. And I would have watched it in rapt amusement. It was Sebastian Stan as Jeff Galili is kind of unrecognizable. It's just solid performances all around. Allison Janney as her mom yeah, is so really good. freaky really and good, good. and I, I it's just a really good movie all along. I am not a huge fan of the ice skating segments, which are kind of like I like them. Oh, they I mean, yeah, yeah. They, I, to me, it was like flawless. Like I knew what was happening. It was yeah, just yeah. facial swap text, but yeah. I, I didn't see the scenes. No, well, I guess because I've seen it a lot of times now, so I kind of right. really notice it now. But yeah, the first time it's kind of just like, oh wow, it's really cool. But yeah, it's you know she had to do a lot of this stuff, and the harder stuff had to be done via CGI because I guess I was re- I was reading a thing like there's only six people in the world who have done a triple axel since Tanya oh, Harding wow. did, wow. and they couldn't get anybody because everyone who could do one was training for the Olympics. <laughs> so well, she's the first American. Yeah. Done the triple right, yeah. Right. Osana Bayou. Osana Bayou. Yeah. 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 No, no. What I'm saying is, there's only been six people since her who have done it. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, and they were all training for the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, after she did it. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, Wait, but, but which, by the way, oh, um, if there's ever another. If there's ever another figure scale biopic, if you don't know Oksana Bayul's like life story, yeah. it's also in fucking 
insane. Yeah. Um, absolutely one of the craziest stories you'll ever hear. But yeah, yeah. But this is a solid biopic. I, it's really weird because um, Aaron Sorkin did a movie this year that I really liked a lot too. Didn't make my top ten. Uh, called Molly's Game, and I like this movie so much. My only problem with it is it's very similar to I Tanya in that yeah. it's a true story. Um, it's uh, somebody who was an uh, Olympic caliber athlete and their life kind of goes down the shitter and the movie's told with breaking the fourth wall and I was like, I gotta say this is the better one. Yeah. Even though the other movie is also really good. So yeah, awesome. I, Tanya's my number three. Awesome. Oh, I, uh, with I, Tanya, it, I, I liked it. Mm-hmm. And I liked the performances. Uh, maybe some pacing stuff for me. I think that's the only not even a complaint, but just something that uh, kind of threw me for a bit. But I, I do have to give it credit because once you got to that kind of halfway point, she, you know, the, I don't know if it's part of it. It wasn't even part of the interview. She broke the fourth wall. She turned around and said, all right, now, you you know, we know why you're all fucking here to watch the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now let's yeah. go and, like, so take good. care of this, like, leg breaking. Yeah. yeah. So good. Yeah, and there's this little scene there, like, I swear some people think I went in there and didn't manage to show this fantasy scene where she yeah, goes in there and just bash him out. It's like huge blood spray all over me. It's, like, oh, it's, it's just amazing. Yeah, great. Yeah. But I think after after the second second part, probably a few quarters away through, I was kind of like, oh, okay, let's start wrapping this up. Um, Who saw it with me? And then afterwards, after kind of digesting the whole story, I'm like, well, what what perspective are they looking at it from? Because it, it is putting her in a better light than I know that she she worked on it as well. Right. I mean, and they were going off of interviews. I've kind of like, eh, it's kind of seen a little one sided. Like kind of putting her on a, on a pedestal. You know, like, okay, well, yeah, like it, it, like, even the little credits are pretty much. She, she wants you to know she's a really good mother. You know? Yeah. But it, I'm all right with it because it tells you what happens to everybody, and it's you're kind of like. And I don't necessarily mind because uh, you know I will say this. I mean, of people in the public eye, like I don't know if there are very few people that have sub- been subjected to a character assassination as she has, you know, mm-hmm. earned or not. Like that, it was just kind of unfair the way that she was treated that way. Um, and uh, you know, she deserves a little bit a chance to kind of tell her side. Yeah. Like, I think my favorite thing about that was, like, it has a Bobby Cannavale in that movie playing uh-huh. a reporter for hard copy. So but he's playing a fictional reporter that's right. kind of a conglomeration yeah. everybody. But he's, like, I know exactly who he's really playing because yeah. I used to watch hard copy. And he's playing this reporter named A.J. Benza who was, like, this <laughs> massive asshole awesome. who was on the Howard Stern show all the time. He's totally doing, like, a dead-on impression of him. Nice. So weird to hear hard copy. Yeah, I remember I watching that well, inside no, edition. But there's a great line. It's like kid. hard copy. I used to work for this shitty news show called Hard Copy that all the traditional media claimed to despise, and then ultimately became. <laughs> right. So true. <laughs> That's a good line, totally. So true. Awesome. All right, Adam, you're number Adam? three. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal this one probably from Jasper. War for the Planet of the Apes. Oh, oh. my number two. Oh, number it's three. so good. Uh, again, just a movie, movie. I mean, I I was just balling the whole time, and this is probably the best CGI work. Oh yeah, with practical oh, mix yeah. that I've yeah. ever seen. There was there maybe with the maybe some of the action stuff. You know, if they're like running or falling, you know, the defer still kind of did a little bit of kind of archiving, um, or the lighting was just a little bit off for it. But uh, when you would get right up 
to their face, and oh, they yeah. were emoting just subtly. Whatever they were doing to mix all that together was spot on. I remember, I remember telling Victor, these movies should not be as good as they are. No, no, they. Shouldn't. I mean, at the end of War, oh, yeah. I was at that same thing, like with Logan, where I am really upset that this CGI talking ape is going to die. Yeah. I do not want this to happen. I know it's about to happen, but God damn it, I don't want it to happen. It engages you that much. Yeah. Well, the, 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 you know. the, uh, the nice thing about it, it well, other than it resonating with me afterwards, is when I realized Woody Harrelson was going to be in it, I was uh-huh. like, fuck, this is just going to ruin the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Because when you look at Woody Harrelson, it's Woody Harrelson. Yeah. A, I sympathize more for the apes and the monkeys. Oh, yeah. A lot more than I thought I would, and I hated every single goddamn human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was more emotionally invested in the apes the entire. Well, you know, even after the first like fifteen twenty minutes, mm-hmm. when you realize kind of what's going on. Uh, Woody Harrelson, I am so polarized about that. I think that's my word today. On on his character from the the moment that you meet him and the things that happen and and what his goals are, you're like, oh well, he's just that. You know, he's that type of character, and that's what he's driven by. Then you get kind of like a very little bit of an insight of of what's happening to him, what's happening to the other humans, and his uh, his family, his son. Yeah. It, it, they don't invest too much time into it because they didn't have to. I, yeah, it's, because it's not the point. You don't need the flashback. No. Exactly. You don't need all the buildup because and you I just need to know that. what's happening because that's their... The focus of the film is on the apes, not necessarily yes. on the humans. Because, you know what? At this point, the humans don't matter. They are dead. They're going to be extinct. Exactly. Yeah. They're going to be thrown back into the stone. And well, I'm glad that you said no flashback, because I... That's one of the things about modern movies that I hate more than anything, when they have to go back and show you... I'm not an idiot. I got yeah. it. You know what I mean? And I hate that, yeah, they, they treat the modern movie audiences like, you're too stupid to get what we just said. Here's a flashback showing what yeah. really happened, so you get it, and it pisses me off. So I feel like it's a waste of time. Yeah, and this movie well, usually it's a cheap trick to elicit like emotion. You know, I mean, like I could talk about this in like in Batman versus Superman when they show mm-hmm. you like the flashback of Batman. Like people really polarized about that. You realize it's there because Zack Snyder really wanted to draw the comparison between the relationship between Superman and his mother. And Batman and his lack of parenting, yeah. but they're showing you the flashback to hit you over the head with it, mm-hmm. you know. But th- in this, Matt Reeves is a competent enough filmmaker that he knows you're only watching War for the Planet of the Apes if you've already seen the other two yes. Apes movies. Yeah. Because to me, if you're only watching this one, this is this movie is like basically a coda to um the, to the last Planet of the Apes movie. Like you don't really need yeah. to see this movie if you've seen the yeah. last one. Because you know what's going to happen. This one is like him dealing with everything Koba did and the last remnants of society trying to scrape their existence. Especially like, in the best part of me, this whole movie is like Caesar and and uh, the orangutan, how they're dealing with Nova. Because that's what's yeah. going to be like these kind of like mute humans that are taking their place on the social ladder. Well, and indefinitely in it appreciation for the original film books mm-hmm. and series and stuff it's one of those ones i mean dawn is one of my favorite 
movies. I mean, yeah. on a philosophical oh and on a. Um, if I have any issue with war, yeah. it's that it's not, not as good. I, mean, I agree, a hundred percent. It it is a really good movie, though. It is the lot as you both mentioned, the logical progression of what would happen. You don't need to see it, but when you do, it it's incredible. Still, yeah. it's just one of those things where uh, one of the things I will say about it is is that uh. I love post-apocalyptic movies and and novels and comics and ideas and games, and I think it, of course it's one of the ones that runs the risk of being one of the most tired genres, and as is science fiction. And it's like to me the the kind of rebirth of the ape series is the perfect fusing yeah. and reimagining um, and reinvigoration of those because it's just one of those things where it's just really really hard to do now to do something that's not. It's obviously, like I said, like kind of one of those things you can write down paper, and it's very sounds like, yeah. Well, this yeah. is like whatever, and then you were to say, oh, it's um, well, it's just mocap stuff, and it's like, but then you see Andy Circus's performance, yeah. And if Gollum didn't get world. you, right. this, I mean, Caesar is just so unbelievably next level. It's yes. not just because of the technology. It's crossed the threshold where yeah. you just, I mean, for large swaths of that film, forget. That you're not looking oh, at yeah. real things, oh, yeah. you know, like, and, and that's that's the ultimate goal of all this this CGI is to finally do that. And I think that it's the first time in that series of films, um, specifically the second and third. Yeah. That I, I think One of the things it. I really like about these movies is as you watch all three of them, you can visibly see Caesar getting older. Oh yeah, especially yes. in this one where he has lots yeah. of like gray fur. Yeah, you for know. Sure. And also, I uh, just got to shout out like a very moving performance by Steve Zahn in that film too. You know, oh yeah, right, he's very good in that movie. Yeah, yeah. very well done. It, and it's got a great dichotomy. You, you do obviously. I mean, I obviously I said from the beginning of when I saw the uh, the first film in the theater, and actually did yell something probably about vegan power because <laughs> it's just I think people do just I, I mean I really do feel like people who are vested interest in animal liberation as part of earth and human liberation it's part of the idea of um, no matter what level you feel yeah. that at you do feel that there is an imbalance in the great injustice in the world and you can take it from a million different levels but I really feel like each film has built on that really really well yeah. like um, including that, like, of course, the most important part is Caesar's realization yeah. that his, and obviously Koba being the perfect yeah. um, uh, true uh, war within that they face is, is the idea of where they're going to go. What, How are they going to be better than humans because they're not? And a lot of this, too, a lot of the execution is going to be, Matt Reeves does an awesome, because I thought about this, like, how Kong Skull Island tells a very similar story, but you're like at arm's length the whole time, and it yeah. seems like very like, oh, this is the John C. Riley jokey movie. But, yeah. But like literally, this it's a very similar story on both ends. Which that movie and has, uh, of course, Koba in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Toby it was, Kebbell. It was actually Toby Kebbell, yeah. not only in the movie as himself, but also plays Kong. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. it's funny you bring that up because I had a friend that saw the preview and saw John C. Riley in the Kong Skull Island, and for the longest time he thought it was going to be a comedy. Yeah. He's like, is this a comedy? They sound like birds, don't they? They're not. They're fucking ants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's so. I, I don't want to derail it, but I will say this thing about Kong Skull Island. How that. 
that's a joke character, and at the end they try to make him a part of the movie. Yeah, makes no sense. That exactly. part doesn't work. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, totally. I, I just want to say, Matt Reeves can't wait for his Batman movie. Yeah. I think he's going to work it out. Number two. Good choice. Yeah, oh, wait, so that's choice. We are oh, to number two. number two. Well, number two for Jasperino. Yeah. My number two, which we've already kind of covered, was The Bad Batch. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Love this movie very, very much. All right, next. Yeah. <laughs> right. I kind of feel like we don't need to cover that much because we already have. Well, we, we spent that time talking about Lady Bird, actually. But, yeah, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, but, you know I, I, you know, I definitely, <laughs> um, you know, I just, I think that The Bad Batch is a very good film. My favorite time. thing about this movie is, because uh-huh. I used to, I used to work a late night shift when I worked at a, at a major bank um, in the mailroom. Um, I worked like a three to midnight shift and I would come home. The whole house was asleep, and I would watch IFC. Yeah. Till like three or four in the morning, and then go to bed. This movie had such a feel of that mid to late nineties independent film type of yeah. vibe to it, and it really kind of took me back to sitting in my living room by myself at two o'clock in the morning watching. You know, oh god, I'm trying to pull something out. I can't. But generation. Exactly, Doom yeah. Generation. Or I was thinking of that. Uh, that Billy Bob Thornton weed movie and I sling blade. Yeah, no, 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 no. Weed movie. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, you guys might know what I'm talking about. Either way, um, no, that was the Angelina. Angelina Jolie, Jolie <laughs> and the other Angelina Jolie yeah, movie. Yeah. Was there, was there weed in that movie? Um, anyway, but yeah, it yeah. took me back to that. Yeah. And I love the rawness of it, and I just everything about it was cool. Even the weird shit they pulled off, like the bodybuilders. Yeah. Somehow, strangely, fit into the movie, yeah, and absolutely. she made it work so well. And I, as far as the music goes, I would put her on tier with Tarantino as far as finding the right song to go with the scene in your movie oh, yeah. to make it make an impact. Ace of bass. While she's getting her freaking I just want to quick interject too. I did um, also in catch up. Did see mom and dad. Yeah. Best use of rock set possibly oh, ever. I did you saw shocked. that too? Yeah. yeah. No, so we'll it, talk it, about it after. Yeah, yeah but yeah, I just yeah. wanted to yeah. quick say that when you do think of, uh, especially as we're getting older, I mean, it's 2018 now, you know, you start thinking about both nostalgia and, um, you know, unconventional use of music, which yes. is becoming an important yeah. part of which film. Which Crash Into Me is not... Yeah, I was gonna say that too. I mean, I'll, uh, anyway, we're not yeah, gonna talk yeah, about well, that. Yeah, that was that was my Lady opinion. Bird is 2018 hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> um, but but yeah. Anyway, uh, Bad Batch. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But, my only uh, other comment about Bad Batch, just because I talked about with uh, with uh, Planet of the Apes, is, is that I do think it's an important uh, post-apocalyptic movie because that's another genre where it becomes kind of a Mad Max kind of thing. I mean, yeah. it's very basic. You know, it's kind of generic, but you do think of the, the world, the future. Um, I actually, it's another one that I feel is so underrated is um, Dread. Oh, is yeah. is, is oh, the wow. future of a, yeah. a prison is being, you know, but in society. The, yeah, the, the important thing about the Bad Batch, though, is that it's not like the whole world is that way. They no, are, that's what they I mean. are specifically basically kicked out yes. of the wall. You could, Mexico you could argue, wall yeah, you into could, Mexico because of things like being seditious. Yeah. And yeah. You could argue yeah. this is going on at the same time as Escape from New York. Sure. Yeah, yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah, but it has cool. its own yeah, um, cool. view of how yeah. that you know, I mean, how that justice system works right. or lack thereof. Yeah. 
know, so enjoyable. Yeah, and again, I just think that it's a very appropriate film for our time right now, and it's not too hard to imagine a near future where if you disagree, you're just kicked out, mm-hmm. and you got to go live with all the other Burning Man people in the desert, <laughs> and you know, have your party. They're trying to build yeah, up prison. Um, for you and me. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. System yeah. reference. Thank you. Absolutely. Right. Kirby. Yeah, we may be covering that, by the way, at one point. <laughs> um, uh, seriously. Um, so my, uh, number two pick, I think is probably going to be a few of you, a few of you guys, your number one. Um, I'm going to have to go with Get Out. You don't uh, know me. Yeah. Get it's, Out is uh, also my number two. Yeah. So we it was not my, our, um, it, I, I did have a hard time thinking about my, my number one, my number two picks and, uh, Get Out though, since I saw it is actually stayed pretty, pretty much at the s- second position. I knew something I, I would eventually see something that I feel would be better. Um, everybody's got very different views of this film and how they feel about it or what they feel like the messaging is. Obviously, um, if you haven't read Joshua's extensive commentary and examination <laughs> on callfalling.co, um, it does cover a lot of those different ideas directly from the director and cast. Um, for me, though, it is... Uh, I, I actually like to just go in the very, um, um, very surface direction. That um, and we talked about this when we originally talked about film. That I feel it, it it takes a mold from the Stepford Wives meets who yep. guess who's coming to dinner meets you Rosemary's know Baby, baby. Yeah. and sure. it has a lot of the classic late sixties uh, early seventies feel, um, which I think but it does it in its own way. That that's where I find it a works. lot of enjoyment I mean, it's for like, me. It's paced really meticulously, like, very but much. it's not. It's not dragging its feet like the way like something like Stepford Wives mm-hmm. or Rosemary's Baby is when you watch it now like you like you know what this movie's about and you're kind of like well let's get to it when you watch Stepford Wives but this it's like no there's interesting things going on throughout that like even totally. when it's not even when it's not specifically explained like the behold the coagula video yeah. mm-hmm. I'm just like man that that was Really interesting, and I, I yeah, absolutely. And I just like I think, and I think it's one of the reasons this film is so popular as well. I mean, it made a shit ton of money for a shit ton of budget. Um, I think one of the reasons is because you can totally watch this movie and not even think about its its underlying meaning. Oh yeah, yeah. just watch it as a thriller. Yep. Well, yeah, and the, horror. And there's a lot of people I've you heard watch. I people who watch it as a comedy, comedy. Yeah, and right, I and right, I've heard right. people that are like because there's so many meta narratives you can take mm-hmm. with this. You could take yeah. like oh you know like with a work friend who works for the TSA, you could yeah. do a whole commentary on like you know the how is he like the character in Scream that knows all the tropes of a movie? Yeah, right. you know, yes, yeah, yeah. but much funnier than Jamie. Jamie, Jamie Kennedy. Kennedy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Uh, it, it's one of those things, like, uh, and I mean, anybody knows me personally. I mean, the way I feel about, it, I, I don't believe in woke or any of that kind of uh, <laughs> elements, and I, and I have no problem saying that because I don't think I think you can make a very sharp social commentary, and I feel like um, Jordan Peele's in this movie is powerful without being bludgeoning, yes. mm-hmm. um, and that's an important thing. I think the fans or some of the opportunists of this film are are the ones who are so rushing to virtue signal about it and i don't think that that's his message i never did feel that way i feel and and as joshua really hit up is is that you can take it a bunch of different ways the way you want to but in the end it's just um one of those films where horror is a really stagnant genre 
it's it's you know a lot of people are doing a lot of the same things and so for a film to come out that has is truly horrific in a lot of different ways um and that's one thing i really think this film is very um uh has a lot of talent in is is that it is so many different horror um elements to different people that i feel like when you kind of again i don't know why adam was trying to say his it's like that universal nature of it is something that's really important people um i i just don't think that there, there's enough films like that anymore yeah. that um so i just really enjoyed this movie from the time i saw it in subsequent um watches and i i see it's another one like layers like you see different things in yeah. every time you catch up um i mean obviously there's so many but i just feel like in the end um a truly, no matter how many different influences it had, it's a truly original film. Well, it is. And, and that's, that's what's thing, important to me. You know, what, what, what Jordan Peele did, that I, and one of the things that I so really love about it, is that it's like those influences are there, and they're so obvious if you're looking for them, but you don't need to, I mean, it doesn't feel, now I love Tarantino, but it's like, it doesn't ever talk about its references, no. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, those references, yes. true. They're, they're simply there. I mean, like, he based the car in the beginning on jobs you know yeah. or, or like also dual and he wanted the neighborhood to look like the neighborhood in Haddonfield, illinois from, from yeah. halloween mm-hmm. and he wanted you know and he used the same color font as in the beginning of the shining yeah and there's a bunch of shining references but yeah, all is. of those things like even if it's like none of them are sticking out like a sore thumb no like you can just watch this film and it manages to do that like it manages i don't know in this really interesting way to like inoffensive in uh, so many ways like in terms of it's like the people that might be a little standoffish to things like um you know what they see as uh, sjw stuff or virtual virtue signaling this is one of the most sjw woke and virtue signaling movies out there and the fact that people out there who are so opposed to those things can still enjoy the film says a lot um, you know, it really, really does. And the film is the fact that people who may be racist ass racists can watch this film and still enjoy it and not feel like they're being told, oh, well, you're a racist ass racist. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. It goes it goes right back to what uh, one of you guys said. I don't remember who it was. Either you or Kirby. But you can watch this movie on so many different levels that you can actually watch it and not realize that there's any kind of message behind it. Yeah. Or you can delve into it and say, oh, wow, yeah, this, this, and this. Well, that's what makes it a good movie. Exactly. It's like you could, it's, you know. It's the, I, uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I remember uh, 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 watching an interview with John Landis where, like, they bring him out to talk and do Q&As at the screenings. And then people will come up to him and say, well, you know, in Animal House, when Flounder was doing blah, 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 wasn't that really a commentary on blah, 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 blah? And then I sit there, I look up quizzically and say, well, of course. <laughs> so yeah. good. So good. Yeah. It's the beginning of, I'm just going to date you, not to be ironic at all. This, it's the beginning of Fat Albert. When Bill Cosby would go, we're going to have some fun. And if you're not careful, you might just learn something. <laughs> yeah. You know, there you that, go. You know, it's exactly what Well, and the fact that some, that some of us here call this movie a horror movie. Some people call it a thriller. Exactly. Um, it was nominated for Best Comedy at yeah. the Golden Globes. Wow. And, then, and I love that, you know, what Jordan Peele's response to that was, uh, Get Out is a documentary. Yeah. You know? Nice. Um, and, yeah. and, and, you know, it's just, it, it has inspired so many different, um, I mean, pieces of conversation and fan art, like, is in that book. Mm. Um, you know, and it's just, I, it, it's a 
tremendously important and that's and that's kind of like what you said there are people who will take this that this is an sjw film and all those type of things and plenty of people who will not and that that's that's an important thing where people can find their own meaning in a film exactly. is a hugely important thing because yeah. that's the common ground that people find in movies or in art or whatever it is because that's a the thing is is you can have a, a, the way in which people communicate ideas that they want um, without having to say like um, I'm right and you're wrong or those kinds of things uh, that I feel is um, obviously like when you, when we were talking about the bad batch like the divisive nature especially this country right now is is that to me it's that people are so unbelievably standoffish and that they believe that they're right and everyone's wrong that they never come to think that hey maybe if I listen to other ideas. And so to have those kind of subversive things where people might think about something a little bit differently, that's it's it like of a critical importance. If you want to look at things as a social issue, and we talked about that actually in a couple different films, like you were just talking about like Florida Project, um, to see things, it's the other how the other half lives. It's how hidden population, hidden homeless. I mean, to me, that's also critically important to, to speak of. It doesn't lose but its... But there's ways you can yeah. do it, like Precious, where it's like, oh, isn't this horrible? Look at how poor people yeah, live. Yeah. Oh, my God. And there's ways that you can do it, like the Florida Project, where it doesn't do that, and like Get Out, which, again, I just I think that that is to the film's credit. The fact that there are people who I think would, you know, would be very much would feel like they were being preached to if the knob was turned a little bit higher. Right. But this film doesn't do that. It was perfectly yeah. done. That's a, great way, that's a great way to put how yeah. the knob is turned. To things and stuff is a hugely different so thing. So, what was your number two, Josh? Yeah. Uh, my number two. Now that we're getting down to it here. Yeah. Uh, is Blade Runner 2049. Oh, I wondered where that Ooh, was. yeah. I'm actually real interested now yeah. in what Josh's number one I is. I mean, here's the thing. Like, um, I, you know, and I, 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 I wrote this up. So, you know, forget the redundancy for anybody that read this, you know, just on my Facebook page. It's not going to be everybody. But um, I spent a good amount of last year terrified. You know, like, I was like, not, it's not even going to make my top 10. Um, I, I mean, for anybody who does not know, Blade Runner is my number one favorite film and has consistently stayed there. I fucking love Blade Runner so much, and I never get tired of that movie. It's a movie I watch, like, at least once a month, and I just, I'm never tired of it. I always marvel at how much I adore that film, and it's, like, almost where it's, like, I don't know whether my tastes are because I love Blade Runner so much, so things that remind me of Blade Runner I love, or if it's just that that movie was everything I already love. But I don't even know Chicken or the Egg. It's so great. So Ramble. I, yeah. <laughs> I spent so much of last year just like, I mean, I don't, I, I don't even, I'm, I'm not even going to think that it's going to be good. Because if it's bad, I'm going to be crushed, you know? Um, and... I'm so happy that it wasn't. Well, it's actually good because you didn't build up the expectations so much that yeah. it was disappointing no matter what. Yeah, but but I mean, but that with that said, I mean, I still, I mean, if that movie would have been bad, it still would have crushed. Oh yeah, you know. Um, but it's uh, what I love the most about Blade Runner 2049 is how much it is a complete redefinition. It does not feel like the original Blade Runner. Um, it doesn't. It's in the same world and it's got similar music, but um, it really is like different movie. It's got a different look to it. It's got a different pace. Um, and, it, and it's just, you know, and that's, I, I respect what Denny Villeneuve did so much because he said, I'm going to make my movie. Mm-hmm. And if you guys like it, you like it. If you don't like it, you don't like it. But I'm going to make my movie. 
not going to just try to do Blade Runner because it's impossible to do that. That film is unique and it's of its time, and if I try and make that, it's going to end up bad. And so he made his own film that's got its own completely distinct tone. You know, kind of, I don't know, it's like, the, it's one of those movies, the more I watch it, like, the more I love it, too, which it, it makes me feel like, you know, like, is this going to be a film in three years and I'm going to still feel the same way about it? But um, I just, I think it, it's so It's good. smart that it didn't ape the original so yeah. much and kind of, like, trod new ground, like, the whole thing with Joy, that the whole idea of, like, you know, synthetic AIs developing, like, conscience, which is, like, something, you know, synthetic AIs are, like, everywhere now. I right. Mean, everybody has, like, you know, Siri or Alexa or something like that, you know, yeah. which it's this, that character is also a commentary on that. Of course. You know, and it was just a lot of that smart commentary and, like, the big reveal in this movie was done in a way that's very reminiscent of noir, which is all about Blade Runner, was about, was, like, its own take on noir. The biggest thing to me that I think the most poignant part about Joy's storyline, it doesn't even have to do with the whole, like, is she real or does she look, you know, whatever. It's this whole idea, and it's constantly alluded to to the point that I know it's not accidental, um, is that everything you want to hear. That is Joy's tagline. I mean, her tagline is everything you want to hear, and that is what she's programmed to do. She is programmed to be everything that, that A or Joe needs and what he wants. And so that the fact that that is her entire character and that she's playing into that and that she's you know, maybe reinforcing certain things that he's theorizing because these are the things that he Well, she suggests to things that I don't think even occurred to him. Right. You know, and that's like, to me, you know, you have the thing with Blade Runner where it's like, you know, the question Ridley Scott kept making is like, oh, is, is Deckard a replicant? Which to me is a, a non-starter. Like, right. And I'm glad that Danny Villanueva basically decides not to answer that question Correct. at all. Because well, I, he almost in my a heart, way, you know, I, I, well, I says, honestly says, think maybe, maybe you're taking, no, I don't know. It does, not, well, you know? here's the whole thing with like the big review in that movie. It does, to me, you could read that it doesn't make sense otherwise that I don't want to spoil it. Right. Basically, like it, it to me, I, it, I, I never thought Deckard. The movie right. works. Deckard's a replica. Right. It still goes along with that story. But to me, this, the question this movie raises is, uh, is Joy sentient? To me, that's a much bigger and more important question than that because you know she, she does things that that in the movie very much lead to her ultimate fate that would you know would not be Hoover. And then you see other versions of Joy that just are a product and Correct. nowhere and they're blank. Yeah. And, and and I mean but but so what if she is sentient but she's also programmed to be everything he wants. Yeah. And that that raises some interesting questions. And, and you know I I think that the, the most heartbreaking scene in the film is that second time that he's you know he sees a joy yeah. that's not his joy. Yeah. You know, and it's like you see those differences and Well, yeah, especially when she's Joe. like, are you a Joe? Right. Yeah, exactly. you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so that, that whole thing is just like, the fact that it's operating on those kind of levels, because if this film was simply visually stunning, that mm-hmm. would have been enough for me. It yeah. really would have been enough for me. But the fact it, that it does it, it goes in an after Yeah, it, it, it improves in the movie in a lot of ways, because when you see the first movie, like, um, you have Tyrell, 
He's like this imperious kind of like emperor figure. Everyone worships his genius. And he has seemingly almost no ego. You know, like he's a god, like, you know, he's a godlike figure to his children. It's like, oh, I, I can't give you more life. And Nyandra Wallace is basically like trying to, I am God. He is yeah. nothing but ego. Yeah. Right. Pure ego, right. not, it's it's just interesting contrast. Yeah. That like are nine days to the original. No, no, I guess it it, it creates a contrast to that figure. You know, we're like, this is how this character was. What if we turned it this way? Yeah. You know, and I find that much more interesting. Even his own personal, uh, his own personal replicant is basically like, oh, I'm willing to lie to my creator to basically get what he wants. A really interesting thing also when I was watching special features for that film is. that she is essentially the 12 year old and mm-hmm. that's the way that she plays her you know yeah. is that she's basically a petulant and overpowered her child yeah um, so yeah anyway you know i just think again blade runner 2049 love the film adam number two mine was get out so i'm not going to talk about it okay. yeah. i like blade runner yeah i thought it was a little slow but i mean i know it's very that's, long that's like that is, it, it is yeah, it, but that long. but I have to say that that does give the movie its you know tone and credit and and, and color and 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 everything that it deserved. If they even tightened up two minutes of that movie, it would have just fallen apart mm-hmm. and not give it its gravitas. But I just couldn't get past it. Yeah, you know I don't know if I I'd, I don't fault it's not anybody something, for that. Yeah, you know, and I know, and that's what I'm saying. It's, I, I had I'd to love, take a bathroom break, and I tried so hard not to. <laughs> I, I love the movie to pieces, but it's like how Kirby said, and what I've been saying since day one, since we've been doing movie reviews on, on this podcast, is that I have to go with my emotions, yep. and either it has to make me just feel like really, really freaking good about something, or it has to completely destroy me and change me as a person. Yeah. My number two is on the uh, on the happy level of Thor Ragnarok. Such a good movie. Love it from beginning to end. It stands on its own. I couldn't even tell you how it's like setting anything up to like the next thing that he's going to show up in, whether that's the next Avengers movie or what. I don't even care. They could not make another Thor movie again for the rest of my life. For all I care, this is great. This is wonderful. I mean, obviously, what we do in the shadows really put high expectations for me on this movie yeah. and it, it it exceeded that um for a long time as it was sitting at my number one but it and then people ask well you love guardians so much and then how is this compared to guardians guardians is still my number one i think i'd watch guardians over ragnarok but boy are they just like you know they're rubbing yeah. flesh yeah Really I think I think Guardians of the of the Galaxy has the bat, the second second or best Marvel villain next to the Vulture with um what's his name the Cree guy uh, Ronan the Accuser yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. to this day I'm like why the fuck did they kill him off such yeah. a better villain than Thanos this movie has <laughs> the Grandmaster who's oh, an so amazing so villain great. like oh. God I love him like I I'm not even the, the after credits tag on this movie after uh, the whole it's like awesome. great job Love everyone it, revolution <laughs> couldn't it you, you needed me to have it so let's say we both won 
Oh my god, I died. Such a great one scene. One of the reasons I want to see it, because I've only seen it the one time. Yeah. And I'm super excited because it comes out to own his like, beginning of March. Um, it, but it's the rewatch version. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to say, actually, best onto that. Best Wonka reference ever in a movie. Yeah, that, um, probably my favorite um, stingers of all time so far yeah. in any Marvel movie. I think I had... But what I was trying to say earlier about Ragnarok, if I didn't make it clear, is, is that it had Thor had to change. Yeah, and and Thor, it's one of the fun only series where it actually got better with the sequels. Yeah, because I think the first one is just paint by numbers. Oh yeah, if if is the best way I put it. It's not necessarily it was good or bad for me. It, okay, I can live with that. I, like I was the saying, first time. I was gonna say yeah. to me, it's just paint by numbers. It's exactly what you expect to happen. Dark World took it to a level where I was like, wow, it's actually getting a little deeper, a, a little, little better, a little better. And then this one, I'm like, goes completely no, off in another Taika direction. Because Taika Waititi knew enough to know, I like Funny Thor, sure. I like sure. this, this, and this. So I'm going to keep I'm gonna keep Odin, I'm going to keep Loki, I'm going to keep Asgard, and that's it. Like, yeah. got rid of Jane Foster, Dar- all that. Yeah, all the... the and then it's like, they just made it funny. Like, when Valkyrie first shows up, gives the big oh, entrance, dude. and they just... Falls off the, the ramp, dude. The, 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 the scene yeah. of the slowly spinning around attached to the chain, uh-huh. so funny. Like, I mean, what a great way to open it up. This like comedy of manners, you know. Um, well, and the, even just the little the bit like I put Odin in a home is just kills yeah. me. Like, <laughs> just hilarious. Thinking of Anthony Hopkins, I really thought they were gonna go and he was gonna be playing like bridge or some shit like yeah. that and i was like this is gonna be awesome well, and then it was even better <laughs> again like the expectation i had versus what happened was like if a movie can surprise me especially a comic book film that yeah. that's my last line on ragnarok it's just that it was unexpected every step of the way yeah. also one of the best trailers i've seen all year yeah, i laughed my good. ass off just oh. at the trailer let alone the film. I think one of the things I, I said in my review of this movie is like, this is a Thor movie that you could watch when you're getting high in your van in the seventies, listening to Led Zeppelin. Like you're like, this is an album cover. You're getting high in a van. It's like that's yeah. it's kind of awesome. That well, and they and they use the song so well, like yeah. perfectly every time. Like that the end when they're on the bridge, and then all of a sudden it just strikes up right at the time when you want it to. Because you're, you're thinking, you're, I was sitting there watching the film and going, okay, where are they going to go? Now it's just going to be like this massive battle, you know, three different battles that we're kind of overlooking on this bridge. But it, it goosebumps all the way up and down everywhere, big smile on my face when it hit just at the right time and it got my adrenaline going again. Yeah. Where, like, as most movies, as we were saying, with like the Wolverine stuff or whether it's like, or even like in Wonder Woman, where it's like, okay, here's the big boss battle. You know, they, they kind of, even though it was pretty straightforward, Greg Lanier, in that way, <laughs> uh, it, it, it gave you a little boost. Like, you're like, yeah, you know, kick their ass. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think it should it, it, it should go without uh, mentioning just like, how freaking great looking that movie is. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of CGI and, and stuff like that, but like the, the, the color palette that that film uses, and I, I just... It looks really awesome. I Especially for like it. a garbage planet. Yeah. When someone yeah. says, hey, this is a garbage planet. Yeah. I just love all the weird little nods to just like, you know, how like the Grandmaster's like, you know, Ford is basically like a 
Jack Kirby drawing right. brought to yeah, life, exactly. or how the crowd, the people in the crowd have pole cans. Yeah, it's just stuff so like good. that. So yeah, good. very fun. All right, now we're down to the number one. Number Uno. All right, what's your favorite movie? Right, so my Jasper. number one was Arthur Legend of Nod. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, no, my number one was Get Out. Nice, nice, so nice. nice. Though you really sense. should read Jasper's review of King Arthur. It's <laughs> yes. fucking awesome. We we started watching that movie, and I was being nice. <laughs> I was trying to be. Nice. Yeah. It's so hard to get through. So. Oh and uh, you know, and I know we did a lot of talking about Get Out. Um, just a second, I, I Get Out is also my number one. Woohoo! Um, Anybody else? Yeah. Anybody else? No. Okay. So I'm I'm very much uh, in agreement with you on that one. And it was close because like Blade Runner Toy Story Nine, I really love that movie. I, it's like I was really going in between. Like, what is my number one? What's my number two? It's either Get Out or it's Blade Runner. It's one of those two. Really and I am dead serious. I really thought you were going to say Valerian, oh, and I was going to oh, fucking man. punch you on not, air. Not, so this like, is, uh, not even on my top 15. I still <laughs> love that movie. I still love, love, love that movie, but I love it in like a, hey, I know. Like the trash. ultimate contrarian yeah. stance. Like, no, no, no. You're saying, like I, I understand that movie's trash, but I still love it. Like, that's okay. You know, like, um, Cheers to that. Yeah, it's not even a top 15. But, but again, it's like with, the reason I had to get, get out the edge was because of the fact that I do feel it is an important film. Now, Absolutely. with that said, again, it does not beat it over your head, you know, its message. But, um, you know, I mean, I, I just think that 2017 taught us that that film is still an important film and that the message that it's saying and that, you know, whether we like to talk about it or not or keep things all nice, like racism is alive and well in this country. And we need to have a goddamn conversation about this at some point. And this film went out there and it was this film that like you could watch and didn't feel like an issue film and didn't feel like it was trying to have a conversation with you. But the conversation was happening. And you could just watch that film as a comedy or a horror or whatever and enjoy that film and appreciate it for what it is. The simple fact of the matter is that the very idea of the sunken place and the things that that, that film is telling you are there, and even if it's subconscious or subliminal or whatever you want to call it, it's having a conversation with this country as this country needs to have. And I saw a really great quote of it that it said that, that this film did not react to our times as much as it predicted. Yeah. I believe that's one of the ones in that that. that yeah. Um, you know, um, and so, and again, for me, that is what gave it the edge. Because if it was just a freaking awesome thriller, like, I mean, it probably still was my number two and my number three. But the fact that it's that awesome thriller that I believe is also, for our time, snapshot very important is what we're going to come for. Well, here's the thing. I'll just say two quick things about it. I'll be done. Yeah, my main reason for this is there's nothing I love more than a movie you watch and halfway through it you're like, I'm going to need a couple of hours to have a conversation about this movie after it's over. Right. You know? And... uh, Leading into that is my cheap plug. My friend Doug and I um, had so many conversations about this movie after it happened uh-huh. that we kept saying, oh, man, we need to podcast this. We need to podcast this. Well, on my other podcast, The House of Breach, you can check it out on SoundCloud. Yeah. Okay. Um, next month, because it's Black History Month, he and I are actually going to sit down. and We're doing an entire show just about dedicated to get out. Awesome. So stay tuned for that. And that's all I'll say about that. All right. Kirby, what's your number one movie? 
my number one is one that I wrestled with a lot because, like, as Prim mentioned, I had some really good picks. Like, I'm not just saying, obviously, because we're in agreement on a lot of the same films. Um, but my number one, I feel like, was probably one of the most divisive films and just so um, um, mis-marketed. Uh, and I don't know how to describe it to people. When people want to talk about it's funny, kind of actually, what um, talking about having a conversation or talking about um, the essence of humanity for me and all of its qualities and detriments is encompassed in it comes at night. Nice. So that's that's uh, a bold choice. Yeah, man. I really respect that. Yeah, it was it was really hard because, like I said, uh, there was some absolutely incredible films this year, and I guess I've got so many more. The honorable mentions, I don't even think we're gonna get a chance to. Right, that's gonna be obviously. the that's gonna be the follow up <laughs> episode. Um, right. Because I know we all had like a f- 10, 15, 20 list. Yeah. But it comes at night for me. Like I said, originally when I watched it, I was kind of like, you know, kind of like I think a lot of people felt that I was going, man, this isn't really what I was expecting. Yeah. But it's exactly what I wanted because this is true. The most realistic post-apocalyptic film I've ever seen. Because this is exactly how humans interact. Yeah. Uh, once resources um, uh, are dwindling, once uh, and people like to talk about like The Walking Dead or some of the other kind of features, but I'm like, this is the heart of it. It would be very um, lonely, very um, uh, uh, the absolute uh, most base primal nature people would have. They would do the most horrible things to each other. I mean, we already do so many horrible things to each other. Um, right now, we've done it in the past, and we're doing it now. And for this movie, I feel like the one thing, you know, they always say, I- I'm going to mangle the quote, but it's like the idea of, you know, people go, oh, the perfect world. It's like, you know, you get humans into a room, and, you know, they're going to invent reasons to kill each other. And they're usually going to be like religion and, um, you know, race and a million other things, because that's what human beings do. And in this case, the whole question of this film is who opened the door yeah. is, is the idea. I mean, at its most rudimentary, and that's the point of the movie, is it, it doesn't really matter who it was. It's the point of what it let in or what it was already there. Right, and that that one, that, that one act mm-hmm. of that door being open um, changes the dynamic of mm-hmm. it so tremendously. Yeah, I just rewatched this film. Well, I just, I don't know how often I'm going to watch this movie. No, it's not, but, yeah. Um, but I want it in my collection because I respect what it's doing so much. And yeah, like, boy, the way that this film defies what you thought it would be and what it actually ends up to be is like, it's so impressive. Um, I feel how relentlessly grim this film is. And that's that's ex- uh, a spot on quote I would have issued myself. This yeah. is one of the most unrelenting, uh, depressing, harrowing films but it's just such pure, unbridled honesty. Yeah. You can read my review. I wrote a lengthy essay yep. on this, but it really is one of those films that you. I would say reference that. But I mean, if you are looking for the most raw, uh, immersive experience probably this year in in, in celluloid, to me, it's, it comes at night. Awesome. Perfect. All right. Just to get through just quickly, I think uh, if you guys know me, you would know what my number one pick is. Shape of Water nice. by Guillermo del Wonderful Toro. Film. Really, best, best picture of the year. 
best picture of the year for me. I struggle with this a lot. Careful I mean, spoilers. I think I'm the only person. Oh, I'm not going to spoil it. the movie. <laughs> so. I, I will say that this is it, this could stand up with any of the classic Universal monster movies. At the same time, it's a human story. Yeah. You could say it's uh, uh, Amelie from the Black Lagoon. You could say any number of you know superlatives. It's, it's it's the formula of the classic Universal monsters where the where the where a human being is the true villain and the yeah. monster is really something that you know beautiful and unique that's just ahead of its time or you know uh, it, this is an amazing movie I've watched this movie I'm gonna say about six or seven times already and I could keep on watching it the performances in it are great it has. It says a lot in terms of social commentary, like sure. you know, for all all the acclaim that um, you know, "Call Me by Your Name" is getting for kind of like you know, you know about a you know an illicit or a same sex love affair in Italy. Like there's this whole like you know undercurrent in this movie between uh, the artist character. Uh, that is Sally Hawkins' character's best friend. That his long yeah, Richard Jenkins. Yes, Richard Jenkins. He's so good. In yeah, he is Very amazing good. in this. In his longing for you know this uh, you know pie pie maker at a restaurant, and then really it talks about racism, Plug years. sexism. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm just talking about things. That's the most. The, I mean, and the way that, that you know there is a scene involving a cat, and then like the way that he reacts to that yeah. in such a gentle way. Yeah, you know, is something. And and I really struggled because. I'm really glad that this film got nominated. And y'all say you called it. I thought that um, Shape of Water would be snubbed with you. Yeah. Um, you know, I just thought that the film was too genre um, to get recognized by the Oscars, but I was wrong. I mean, it's the most nominated film of all of them. Um, and I really struggled between whether I feel that Willem Dafoe or Richard Jenkins for this mm. film should take it for Best yeah. Supporting Actor. Ultimately, I, I just went with Willem Dafoe just yeah. because I think he's so important. But I, I Richard think Jenkins Richard Jenkins great. will probably win, but to me, this is like. I feel like this is Guillermo's best chance at ever winning yeah. an Academy Award. Yeah. And I think this movie is miles better than Gravity or Birdman. And uh-huh. Oh, I, without a doubt. This you is... know, and that's not to say that, you know, Inaratu or Afonso or Coran or I mean, these are the three Mexican brothers who are, you know, in spirit. They're like, we're all we're going to take Hollywood. And I think this yeah. is Del Toro's turn for sure. What yeah. in Shape of Water is his most accessible movie? Yeah, and that's it. Could have been it. Could have been a Pan's Labyrinth. It, it, it ended up being much more. Well, and that's a little bit why it's not on my top five is because it it does go in a in a very uh, Greg Lanier type. Yeah. Guys, don't! I swear to God, man, that's the way it's pronounced. That's linear, fine. linear. It's just your accent, man. Chowda, Chowda, Chowda. Say it, Frenchie. Say it, Frenchie. Um, but it, it, it was it was very conventional storytelling, um, which it's. But there there are so many more things that uh, are, are great about, yeah. and so I can see why it's. Kind of the unconventional darling of of the award season, and he very much deserved, you know, the, the director nod at uh, the Golden Globes. Um, and I was really happy to see that. Uh, how many nominations? What thirteen nominations? Yeah, thirteen's like got the he most. He's got the most nominations, but it didn't get nominated for best makeup, which kills, kills me. What? And I just yeah. actually just want to say this real quick. I truly do believe this hundred percent. We were just talking about Andy Circus with. Um, 
play it. If, if there were any justice in the world, Doug Jones is probably the most underrated actor, period. I, I truly believe that. But then in Shape of Water, I was kind of disappointed by this performance. I've seen so many things that are much better. Have you seen Bye Bye Man? Well, <laughs> on something that is being like on, oh, actually on this, care on this about, pedestal yeah. right now, where you know that the yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, just... yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was nominated for best costume design, so again, uh, yeah, yeah. In my opinion, Phantom Thread should win that, but um, that's a different conversation. I will say my my biggest issue with the Shape of Water, and I love the Shape of Water. It's, Ended up putting it in number ten on my, um, you know, my final list. But um, is uh, I wanted more with the creature. And, yes, that's and the, that's what I, what I was yeah. getting at because it yeah. didn't seem like he had a lot of screen time. I don't mm. know how much they could have done with it. Anyways, yeah. I mean, everybody was really interesting. It's just like we love Doug Jones so much. Yeah, we wanted more Doug Jones. Yeah. I think know? what it is, is is this is like this is Guillermo del Toro's relationship with genre. It's like he wants to tell human stories but the human in him is like the monster you know right. and here it's like when you watch the first hellboy and you see how he talks about how deeply dissatisfied he had to focus so much on the humans in that movie like this is the story of sally hawkins character and how she's a monster That's in true. a way and you her know? friendship yeah. as well everybody's you know? everybody's yeah. a monster in yeah. the end in one different way or another in it's just yeah you find your or most people yeah, she find finds kinship. Yeah. yeah, and they find well, and a lot of the audience finds themselves. This was a mu- movie where you want to talk about. It's, I found more of like it's funny in comparison to like Get Out, like the prejudices, which the ultimate prejudice in the end in the world, no matter what it is, is difference. If people see something as difference, yeah. they fear. And I it. think that's the story of this movie. This yeah. is a little movie. It's not Crimson oh, Peak or even like Pan's Labyrinth. You know, it's True. like it's a smaller movie than both of those, and I feel like it's his weirdly. Not, I do think it's his most conventional movie, and I don't True. think he'll make a more conventional. It's the movie most than this. unconventional love story. Yeah, that's the most conventional movie yeah. in it. It's it. But it's just really, uh, you know, and, and I said this in his very first thing, and I've, I've, I've told you this one after one. Right after I saw the movie, I said it's like it feels like a comforting blanket. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just something about the way that that film is crafted that even though. I do have, you know, some issues that kind of keep it from being really as high on my list as it is. I'm going to say it's probably, like, one of the movies I'm going to go back to. Yeah. That, and that's and, part of it, too. Yeah. It's the fact, like, all, all the movies on my list say, like, the post, you know, because I just saw it. So that's, right now, I know I'm going to watch it more. Like, I wanted right. to watch all the President's Men right after I watched yeah. it. But all the movies on my list, I have watched more than once. Right. And I will watch again. And yeah. why I compared and contrasted um, The Shape of Water and Coco, it's not just obviously um, the director's heritage or um, the themes. It's because it, the visuals are so beautiful, they made me want to cry. Yeah. Like, The Shape of Water is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, like, beautiful. it is achingly beautiful. And so, yeah, excellent pick. All right, Adam, your number one movie. Mother. Mother. Whoa. Oh, not, not expecting that one. Big, big choice. Oh really? You yeah. didn't expect me because I, I knew said that it like changed my life. No, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't so, uh, You know, it's my number twenty. <laughs> hey man, I'm just saying. Uh, so yeah, Smurfs: The Lost Village is my yes. number one. I understand oh, I, completely. A ghost story, guys. Fantastic, fantastic. 
I just, I really wish if that movie hadn't been so silent that Victor and I could have done an MST3K with the ghost story <laughs> while we were watching the screen. Right. Oh my right. god, yeah. I never need to watch that movie again. Um, but yeah. Adam, any other thoughts you wanted to throw in for Mother? No, like the ghost it? story, I don't, I don't ever want to see that movie again. But and I want to right. see it again. Right. Yeah, well, that makes what sense. I don't Mother? know. Have you revisited Mother? Kind of. Yeah. I pressed play and then I hit stop. Right. Wow. Right. Which actually I do want to echo. That is the way I feel about Comes at Night. I'm not ready to probably watch it again yeah. for a bit, but it was that visceral mm-hmm. impact that just and it resonated with me. And the more I thought about, it, the more questions I had, the more I debated. But yeah, it's a hard it's a hard watch, and I find that a lot of my favorite films tend to be difficult. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna say this: I think that Mother is one of those films that people are gonna be watching in 20 years, and they're going to be doing essays on. You know, yeah. um, I just think that there's something. I did an essay on the Requiem for a Dream in college, so I don't doubt yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's something that uh, you know, there's something about the way that Darren Aronofsky makes a film. Um, you know, I don't know if you're like if all us in this room were very familiar with the, the movie The Fountain. Yes, um, yes. You know, but so you know in like the, the future segments, you know, mm-hmm. um of that film, um, there is a uh there's basically he's going towards the light at the center of the universe, right? Um and if you watch that film, and I don't know if any of you know this, but literally the entire film is a journey from darkness into light. Um, and so all of the scenes in the beginning of the film and all three of the different time frames are all really, really dark. And then actually the scenes get more and more lit as the film goes on. So not only is that character going towards the light, but the entire film itself is a journey from darkness into light. And there's levels at which Darren Aronofsky works as a filmmaker that are just like what nobody else is doing out there. Um, he's a true genius. And so to take that and apply it towards what he's doing in Mother... Um, again, like it's just a jaw-dropping experience, and it's either one is going to work for you or it's not. Um, and it's it's it is probably the most polarizing word of the day um, of all the films that we've discussed, right? Yeah, exactly. And it is because critics, a lot of critics yeah. hated it. A lot of audiences hated it. I mean, it had a cinema score of what, like a D minus. Well, yeah, no, it was actually one of the only ones that scored the F. Right, I remember right, when yeah, we yeah. did that episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and now that you brought it up, I remembered one of the. One of the things that gets low marks is people say, oh, it's so pretentious. Right, right. Yeah, you know, exactly. How, how dare they do something original and, you know, from someone's vision. I mean, people complain all the time. And it, that it's, uh, why doesn't Hollywood do anything original? How bold was it to have Mother yeah. in the theater? Yeah, very bold. Right. I mean, it was, yeah. it was at Alamo well. for probably, like, <laughs> at least, like, three weeks. And the thing that I think that is, it really, is that that film... And again, I don't even want to say it was marketed wrong, but it's like but to have that film and to push it like to as many screens as it did as a Jennifer Lawrence joint yeah. was like, I mean, that's not the right way to sell mother. I will say this was a much better use of Jennifer Lawrence bringing people than Passenger was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's me sure. not having seen it. Right. Um, so yeah, I that was... No, it brought people I did in, see Passenger. That's yeah. the thing. I mean, just watching that film, and then you'll know this too when you watch it for the first time, guys, just try to imagine normies watching yeah. this movie you yeah. know it's like one of the most incredible things like i mean just i would have loved to have just sat outside of a theater as people walked out right. of this movie you know True. because this movie is not for normies this is an art house film 
and yeah. yet it was it was put in all these screens and it has like one of the most bankable actresses in the world in it. So yeah, so that's a that's a fantastic choice. And I, well, I it think, does yeah. it does say a lot for for Jennifer Lawrence. She does get behind a lot of these small because like you know, Mary uh, was it? Um, God, it's not American Splendor. It's uh, American Native. Hustle. Yes, American yeah. Hustle. I mean that movie is amazing, and you know the fact that you know her Bradley Cooper get behind these big directors or these directors that have vision and let them do their thing. Yeah. You know, it's kind of I I, I commend that Absolutely. very fully. Um, so just I, I say just you know to, to wrap it up, let's just quickly go through our top five. I'll just say mine. My uh, number five is Bad Batch. Number four was Mother. Number three was The Florida Project. Number two was Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Number one was Get Out. All right, uh, Adam. Uh, Adam. Uh, oh, what were mine? I don't know. I made it up as I went along. <laughs> Ingrid goes west. Dave made a maze. War for the Planet Apes. Thor Ragnarok. And Mother. Yeah. Mine were number five, The Post. Number four, Coco. Number three, Itanya. Number two, Get Out. Number one, The Shape of Water. Kirby's. Uh, I've been writing on. Yeah, I was actually going to say thank you Thanks so much <laughs> uh, for number five, Girls Trip. Number four, Coco. Number three, It. Number two, Get Out. And number one, It Comes at Night. I had Guardians 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Logan, The Bad Batch, and Get Out. Nice. nice. So Get Out was the big I think winner. Get Out was the big winner. Yeah. Get Out was the big winner, yeah. yes. And I think we shouldn't be surprised if that does very well. I if, if Get Out or Shape of Water win, I will be very happy. Oh, God, me too. Way. Same deal. Uh, Jordan Peele or uh, Del Toro win for Best Director. I'm happy. I just want to say how win. happy I was that to see him win at the Golden Globe. Yeah. Yeah, he, I, I, just, I mean, I just am so happy to finally see him recognized the way he deserves to be. Definitely. All right. Perfect. So well, we're going to wrap this nearly three-hour-long yeah. podcast. <laughs> I promise your next one will be much more of a manageable length as we get used to our dynamic. Anyway. I hope you enjoy our picks. They'll be up on Cult Following CO uh, along with this episode, so you can follow along. And we'll be posting our lists on there. As if you don't want to know what our 6 through 10 are, drop us a note. We will totally mention it. If you like our podcast, share it with your friends. We are up on SoundCloud. We are on the iTunes for Cult Following. And we post the reviews at cultfollowing.co. And you can always find us at interesting events throughout the valley. Adam is usually at the Alamo Draft House. If you give him a high five or five dollars, he will say hello to you. If you can find him. Possibly. I can never find him anymore. <laughs> Boom. So and, if you and the fact that him. we didn't do any porn title <laughs> <Right>. discussions <laughs> about it was uh, we go. so proud. Him. It so comes proud. at night. Anyway, until next time, I'm Victor Moreno along with Joshua T. Roots. P.S. Motherfucking A. Adam Rukowski. Kirby Nelson. And Jasperino. I need a taco. Until next time, beep beep, Richie. Oof.